0: So that means one of two things. Either you and your partner, and your new compadres here, are in this thing for life, just like you taught me. Or, those x-rays, brother, that you're laying on me right now, means you and I need to do the thing right now.
1: (laughs) And let me tell you another thing.
0: Not too many people know this man over here. I got you. Uh-oh. You want some of me? You...
2: Hey, wait a minute, gentlemen, please.
0: Uh, Reggie White's Reg... ready to go right now. No. Reggie wait, hey, wait a minute! You just sit in his face! Oh my goodness! I can't believe that. He spit in a face. Hey, oh no! Oh my goodness! Reggie White Steve McMichael an issue that they're going to settle at Slammery but what you have forgotten is that you didn't do it alone that you had the support and you had the trust of people like Ted Turner like Harvey Schiller, Hollywood Hogan Paul and Nash you had a trust and you portrayed it and that is not acceptable fight me wcw was nothing but a bunch of guys pushing their sons if you didn't have a dad in the business you couldn't even get an opportunity scott hall was here i was here scott hall was ready to become a superstar hey i was a little green but scott hall was ready to become a superstar and you know what you did he worked here a year he proved himself you cut his salary, so he went elsewhere. We went to New York. That's right. We went to New York, and what did we find when we got there? That's right. Stayed all night, danced a little longer, party time. When we got there, there wasn't no party, just punishment for the guys trying to dig the business out of the funk you guys left it in. But think, think i know i can whip your ass pal, <laughs> because i've been the world
1: champion more times than you've had He's the last, pal! <laughs> the only thing you need to know about is the Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry. See, because what you're dealing with here is the brotherhood. It's non-stop from this point on in WCW. We take what we want. And after we take Lex Luger and the Giant, we want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you,
3: nigga! Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to April of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Let's Volume two this month volume number one ECW takes the limelight as we take a look at their first pay-per-view barely legal volume number two we go to the WWF looking at in your house revenge of the taker and we're here in volume number three to look at WCW and the return of Spring Stampede i am being joined this morning by Kieran Mitchell Kieran hello hello Bob how are you I'm very well thank you just a to two man boo today um, and uh, I'm starting off with the news so we start off with the news that Reggie White of the Green Bay Packers has signed on for a match at Slamboree next month against fellow Super Bowl winner Steve McMichael White's involvement on television uh, involved being sat at ringside before jumping into the ring for a confrontation with McMichael who spat at him for it and then was followed by a pull apart brawl the two will be joined on the card by the returning Kevin Green who will team alongside Ric Flair and Roddy Piper in the main event against the NWO while from a pure storyline standpoint Green team with flair makes no sense but given that the show will be hosted in charlotte wcw really had no other choice
4: Uh, randy savage suffered torn ankle ligaments during his main event at spring stampede against diamond dallas page although it seems like he'll be out for weeks rather than the months as first thought savage lost cleanly to page in the main event of the show but is said to have woken up the next morning in intense pain he appeared on subsequent nitros hobbling around on crutches Replacing the match on house shows was Kevin Nash facing Diamond Dallas Page, with Nash, like Savage last month, doing a clean job to the diamond cutter. And, not for the first time, it's being suggested that there's heat on Page backstage, feeling his push is only coming due to being a friend and neighbour of Eric Bischoff.
3: Spring Stampede was otherwise a quiet affair, with Lex Luger defeating the giant Booker T, Stevie Ray in a 4 corners match to win a future title <coughs> shot against Hulk Hogan. Kevin Nash defeated Rick Steiner to retain the tag titles. Yes, you did hear that correctly. With Scott Hall not returning until later in the month, they decided the match would be better than doing a handicap. <coughs> Elsewhere, there were a win to Rey Mysterio Jr. Akira Hokuto Prince I.U.K. out the public enemy. The match between Dimalenko and Chris Benoit went to a no contest.
4: The major story rumbling backstage and on screen that we'll detail in this show is the increasing fracturing of groups backstage in WCW. It revolves around two groups, one led by Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and the other led by Kevin Sullivan and closely followed by Rick Flair and Roddy Piper. It came to a head when attempting to decide who would be involved in the Slammy main event, with Flair and Piper suggesting six wasn't big enough act for the role. While it's led to a series of bizarre shoots on television, it's said at least for next month's main event, both groups are largely agreed to work together for the sake of the business, providing Nash's eyes don't call Piper or Flair old.
3: WCW business continues to be excellent, with multiple nitros selling out and merchandise sales being especially strong. In Philadelphia, they broke a company record, selling what nearly $150,000 worth of merchandise, with top shirt sellers being Sting, followed by the NWO, followed by Dallas Page. In line with this, uh, d- in line with this, there has been a move by WCW to up the price of their tickets. Most will now cost between $15 and $20, which is similar to what the WWF charges. They put tickets on sale for a Nitro in June in Boston and set a record for opening day sales, selling around 10,000 tickets to revenue in excess of $170,000. Arn
4: Anderson underwent a successful surgery on his neck issues. However, it is expected his recovery time will be lengthy and prospects for a return, return to the ring are uncertain. WCW have instituted a They had a one beer policy previously, but apparently talent have been exploiting it, with some saying too much drinking is affecting promos. In Mark Madden and his hotline, a judge ruled that Madden was entitled to protect his sources, provided he wasn't being asked to lie. And in one of the more surprising rumours going around at the moment, WCW are apparently interested in the gangsters.
3: Oh, boy, if that one comes yeah. off, we'll, uh, we'll see about that. Anyway, a reminder that we are on Patreon. If you want to say thank you or like to get early access to our shows for five bucks a month, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling20RS, links in the podcast description, and on our website. Another sweep for Nitro in the ratings battle this month. The WWF did win their first quarter hour against Nitro in months. On March the 31st, Nitro did a 3.4 to Raw's 2.7 on april the 7th nitro ran 3.7 to 2.2 april the 14th nitro ran 3.5 to 2.2 on april the 21st nitro run 3.4 to 2.8 but that did feature a 3.4 segment on raw featuring a match between steve austin and bret hart that beat out the 2.8 that nitro did in the same quarter on April the 28th, Nitro did a 3.4 to Rawls 2.7, but uh, with that week, as with the next few, expect some changes as Nitro is now running only for one hour and only from 7pm Eastern time, owing to the NBA playoffs. And that is almost where we will start the play for you, because there is no Nitro ahead of the show, but we are going to step back and play a primer that we aired at the end of last month's show from Kevin Nash. Now, we aired it and discussed it then, but... Boy, this is going to be a long show for this regard but given what's come to light since um, and also given that i like to wear at least one promo before we do a pay-per-view review I'm going to replay that Nash promo now because some interesting developments have come from it so we'll listen to it now and then have a quick discussion about it
0: Alright I've sat back here for two hours tonight I'm about to puke <laughs> You know, the president has a State of the Union address every couple of months. It's time the NWO had a State of the Union address. The only difference is I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't know what the hell's going on with the NWO right now. I'll tell you one thing, Kevin Nash and Six are here. And Scott Hall, people are wondering where Scott Hall is. Scott Hall's taking care of business. More important than professional wrestling right now. Now, while Bischoff, Hogan, DiBiase, Vincent are all up there at Rodman's little opening day movie shenanigans. We're here taking care of business, so you boys in Chicago, if you're watching, you better get focused, So I'll tell you something right now, I'm getting pissed off, I'm getting tired of sitting around having you guys take my time, I'll tell you right now, you don't want to get me mad, because I'm one person in this business that can stand alone. Is this thing even working? I don't even know. Jeez. WCW. Go figure. I'll tell you something right now. Steiner brothers, big win tonight. Who cares? I'll tell you one thing. In Tupelo, Mississippi, Nash will be there. Whether Scott's there with me or not, it doesn't really matter. I'll be there. I'll take you on a load. All you Napoleons back there, you know who I'm talking about. All you guys that can't get on the adult rides because you don't make that height requirement. The only reason you people breathe is because I allow it. Yeah, I'll smash that camera. I'll tell you right now. As long as I got breath in my lungs, I'll fight WCW by
1: myself.
3: So, Kieran, we we played this promo at the end of last month. and and as a a trio, me, Dell, and Wayne were all kind of quite baffled as to what was going on and and the content and all of that. And then we we bring in some of the context that we're going to kind of drip feed throughout the show and then probably finally discuss at the end, surrounding all the stuff that's happening politically this month. um, Now, this promo itself, um, as it was fairly clear at the time, didn't quite go on air as as was instructed. Nash's primary role was to get over the fact, uh, not necessarily to mention Hall's potential absence for the show, and was largely to get over some riffs between um, him, Bischoff and Hogan to set up an angle that we air on the following week's Nitro that we'll come to out of the pay-per-view. And a few other things. But Kieran, as we kind of heard, Nash kind of went off in his own direction.
4: Yeah, I... This smacks of, or it seems similar to how he, so maybe there's going to be rumors of how he left WWF is what I'm thinking. Um, It's coming to it sort of fresh to the scene, if you like. Um, It wasn't actually like really clear about what he was trying to get over. It it seemed, at points it seemed a bit rambling almost, but I honestly didn't really know what to make of it because I was kind of, I was, as a, you know, coming to it fresh, I was kind of taken out of context. But the fact, the way he seemed really agitated and as the promo went on and on, it was quite clear that he was going completely off script.
3: Yeah. Um, I, and I think the, the the wider point here is that a lot of this stuff that we're going to hear this month isn't really for us. Like the the overwhelming thought coming out of all of these segments is that the audience is largely for a small group of people backstage, and that the two, three, four, however many million people are watching the show on a Monday yeah. night are kind of just along for the ride. Oh,
4: that's what I was just going to say. I felt like a, I, like I said, take, taking it out on its red as on its own. I, you, you could almost say I felt like a passenger because yeah. I didn't. It didn't really. You know, a, a, a general promo, whether it may be a shoot or, or, or you know, or it's a scripted one, has a, sort of a point or a beginning, middle, and a, an end sort of thing. Whereas this just seemed to be like, well, this guy's just walked on to telly to have a pop at somebody in the back, and I don't really know what he's on about, if I'm honest. Uh,
3: well, well, that's largely what happened. He did walk onto television. <laughs> that the, the references to Napoleon, the... Uh, <laughs> The, the guy I take not, it that's kevin sullivan is it that's... that is kevin sullivan the, the the guy not tall enough to get on the rides at the, uh, at the theme park. <laughs> that's kevin sullivan oh, and yeah. then you've got all the stuff going on with him taking pops at bischoff and hogan for for their treatment of rodman and god there's some there's some stuff to talk about that later in the month um and then also the fact that the his references of scott hall um he was. He, he did that himself. He said that under his own volition. He wasn't asked to say that. He wasn't asked to hint that that Hall wasn't going to be on. It wasn't necessarily going to be on the pay per view. Um, WCW, for their part, didn't mention at all Hall's potential absence for the show until the show started, um, because that's what WCW do.
5: Yeah. Um,
3: but yeah, the. The very perception with all of this is that a lot of stuff going on right now is just for the boys in the back. It's just for specific targets. But the one thing we can say to an extent is that if you look at a couple of the more successful things WCW have done the last 6-12 months or so, more, you know, NWR, I'm mm. going to leave the side because there's a lot going on there. But you look at the promo, the feud between Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit, which has largely, largely oh, there's a great fucking story in amongst that that we'll get to later, but largely been a, uh, largely been in amongst, what am trying to say here? It's largely been a case of they've been telling a story that only they really understand. Sullivan's been cutting promos that make no sense. They've been implying a lot of things that they haven't really explicitly said, i.e. Kevin Sullivan's marriage to to Nancy and all of that, but it's kind of got over in spite of that because it feels quite real. And then you look at all the stuff Roddy Piper's doing. Roddy Piper's one of the most over guys on the show despite making almost no sense at every available turn. I, I, I don't think this is by design, but, Kieran, I think the one thing that we've seen from WCW over the last three, six months or so is that Providing the conviction is there, the content doesn't necessarily matter. Like the one thing about Nash's promo was it got over the fact he was pissed off whether you knew about what he was talking yeah. about or not.
4: It's, and that's what I was hoping to get from like the, the pay per view and any of the Nitros we watched was it, this, this sort of thing is all fantastic. Whether whether that is for me or not, he worried about Bob to a certain extent, as long as it doesn't sort of drag on to the point where. It gets ridiculous. As long as it starts to translate into the ring as well, I'm all, I'm all good with it, mate, to be honest. I, it, it I'm, I'm, I don't want to get across the fact that I was angry with it. I just found, I found it, like I said, I found it more interesting, intriguing than anything else, but it also needs to translate over to everything else because I don't want to sound like a, like a purist or, you know, or a, you know, or a fan or anything, but at the end of the day, it is, it should be about the wrestling. Time, time will probably tell whether all of this this real heat and shoot promos actually does translate over.
3: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about wrestling that matters. I think that's the point. Um, and, and, and to an extent, you've, you've got to get people invested in, it, in the match and the consequences. So there is that. Um, but yes, I, I think if there is a line between shoots that are good for business, and we're, we're going to discuss that in the WF, part of the, this volume this month regarding some comments that sure michaels has made on raw if it's if it shoots that are, are good for business i.e you know the what they're saying is real but it, it makes sense in the context of what's going on then that's good i think they're a bit too far beyond that line at the mm-hmm. moment i think they're yeah. a bit too far in terms of if, if 95% of your audience have no idea what you're saying you're asking a hell of a lot for the angle to get over just on the base of the strength of how you're presenting your argument. Um, and Nash being pissed off, we saw that in WWF a year ago, Nash being pissed off can be good for business. I'm got to be pissed off in a way that makes sense. I think that's the, that's the critical point. Yeah. Kieran, have you got the results out for the pay-per-view? I have. Excellent. Uh, well, in that case, uh, yeah. let's start. Spring Stampede, Kieran, kick it off with the results.
4: So in the first match, Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Ultimo Dragon in a singles match at 14.55. Uh, Akiro Akuto defeated Medusa in a women's singles match for the WCW Women's Championship, 5 minutes 13. Prince Iakea defeated Lord Stephen Regal for the World Television Championship, so 10 minutes. Uh, the public enemy, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge, defeated Steve McMichael and Jeff Jarrett with Deborah in a tag team match, 10 minutes 42. Dean Malenko fought Chris Benoit, who was accompanied with woman, to a no contest. Uh, that, that bout was for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, 17 minutes 53. Kevin Nash, with six, and Ted DiBiossi defeated Rick Steiner, in a singles match for the WCW World Tag Team Championship, 10 minutes 20. Lex Luger defeated the Giant, Booker T, and Stevie Ray in a four corners match, 18-18. And in the main event, Diamond Dallas Page with Kimberly Page, with Kimberly Page defeated Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth in a no disqualification match. 15 minutes 38. Gary, what do you think of this show? Well, uh, <laughs> like I said, it's really disappointing. On on paper, when when you just look at the card as it is, there's there's, there's a couple there where I was like, because I like to look at the card and not make up me what mine was going to be, but at least. And the last time I was watching WCW, I was watching the two Sullivans fight. So anything's probably a bonus. But overall, this was a bit of a bit of a letdown overall.
3: Yeah, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Bloody hell. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, to be honest, you have not seen WCW much since the Sullivans era. Since the yeah. uh, Kevin Day Sutter. This was a a significant step up in some respects in the the, the match quality and overall interest. Um, But, yeah, this was just flat. You know, I I don't know whether it's, you know, kind of our imitating life and that Hogan's not around, Bischoff isn't around. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That's Bischoff wasn't in the show. I I said a lie there. But the big game isn't around, Hogan's not on top. You know, this felt like a a pay-per-view that... If you were say say wrestling was more like boxing and you were creating shows around matches rather than matches around shows, yes, exactly. I, I don't I don't think this pay per view would have existed. I I don't think WCW had any justification for a pay per view if they were building one based off the strength of the matches involved. And this kind of show kind of felt like that going in, and the wrestling wasn't quite as good as some of the shows, which otherwise would propped it up, and the the kind of up and down nature. But I mean, you know. Yeah, I think you haven't seen WCW properly in two or three years. I think the show her a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it was,
4: it was decent. I mean, oh, 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 Don't get me wrong. I mean, it was better than. Oh, I, I, I'm, I, had, I got PTSD after Sullivan vs. Sullivan, but the um, this was. It wasn't. It wasn't like bad. It was just a bit underwhelming because, you know, I've 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 tried to keep on top where I can of all like the, the uh, the different feuds and you know, and the NWO is quite exciting for professional wrestling after all. You know they're, they're absolutely thrashing raw in the ratings, so you're expecting something. But then you look at the card; it could be okay. But like you like you intimated, there's 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 obviously massive gaps. There's you know there's no Flair, there's no Hogan, um, so there's obviously there's obviously big gaps in the card itself.
3: And another thing to. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on this later in the show, but amongst all of the political stuff going on, one of the things that was causing that friction between the Nash side and the Sullivan side was that Nash felt like Sullivan was trying to sabotage the pay-per-view by not focusing on the guys on that nitro before the pay-per-view, the 31st of March one, not yeah. focusing on guys and matches that were coming up on the pay-per-view and instead putting his attention predominantly on Flair and Piper, which also is an angle that isn't going to pay off until next month.
4: I mean, that's the- Spills over into the I, 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 and I'll point i point it out as we go through, but that spills spills out throughout this pay per view where even the commentators are struggling with this show at points. That they're wouldn't always, be the
3: first time, though. <laughs> no, they're all, they're all
4: they always seem a bit they always seem a bit distracted and you're a bit like, well, you know, come on guys, these two two guys, particularly. Oh, we'll get anyway. We'll get to it, but
3: yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's start. For the first time, what feels like a long time, we've got a proper WCW set, basically like an old Wild West theme. They've been pushing in the as leading oh up. God, look, look really nice. Shivani says there are quote three gigantic main events, which is to say that there's nothing worthy of actually being the main event. Shivani says that <laughs> Hall is not here, something they've not said at all prior to the show the WCW Championship Committee has told Kevin Nash that he must defend the tag titles alone without a substitute, which to me seems a trifle unfair, and also seems a bit weird, in that it's not like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall walk alone, they get followed by about 10 other guys, you could have maybe put one of them in that spot, but, you know, Whatever. Um, they're also saying that Nash has some demands. And so we move on to the opening match. It's the Ultimate Dragon. They're now calling him Ultimate again. Fuck knows why. Um, uh, without Sonny Ono, which is a bit weird given that Sonny Ono appears in the next match, versus Ray Mysterio Jr. Mike Tanay joins in on commentary. We start with a slow, slow exchange of submission holds. The ring doesn't seem to be Mike very well, which makes this opening ex- exchange a bit weird. Mysterio goes for a cross face, then a camel clutch. Dragon kicks Mysterio hard in the side of the face, then connects with a drop kick. Going slow still, as Dragon puts in an arm bar on Mysterio. Dragon picks up Mysterio into an airplane spin, then drops to his knees. He followed that with a powerbomb, holding on, then cap- catapulting Mysterio over his head. After that, he locks in a sleeper. Pace of this match so far has been good, as in slow yeah. dragon picks up mysterio off of the turnbuckle in one corner charges across the ring and hits a lovely running power bomb into yeah. the other follows that with a jumping tombstone pile driver he goes for a pin but at least pulls mysterio up rather than having kick out all that dragon hits a couple of penalty kicks to mysterio's back we go to the outside mysterio manages to counter an irish whip and send dragon into the guardrail. he regroups but walks straight back into another sleeper which elicits some blues Mysterio rallies the locks in a sleeper of his own. That actually got a pop. Mysterio kicks Dragon to the floor, then shakes for a kick through the ropes, aborts it and in the end ends up booting the camera that's on the apron. Mysterio goes to the top, does a front flip onto Dragon onto the floor. We get a picture in picture. Lee Marshall is looking for comments from Kevin Nash but only gets six who basically tells him to piss off. Mysterio climbs to the top, Dragon and drop kicks him off and tumbling to the floor. Mysterio goes uh, off of the second rope, only to be hit by a drop kick from Dragon on the way down. Dragon goes for an air spin, he releases it and both men go down. Mysterio goes for a handspring something, ends up on Dragon's shoulders. He does a victory roll, Dragon counters it himself uh, into a cover for a near fall. We get exchange of covers, Mysterio comes off of the second rope with a Currican Rana rolls it through and wins with a three. Kieran.
4: Loved it. Such a really, really good start and unlike some of the cruiserweight matches sometimes see like you said they started off the pace wasn't like go 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 right from the start there were some not really good early exchanges Um, I mean pretty much I think Rey Mysterio has pretty much great chemistry whoever he's in there with but in particular with Ultimo some of the uh, some of the exchanges some of the switch rounds some of the reversals um, there's one in particular the the move where he sort of he power bombs Ray and then hangs on and then he like guillotines in backwards on the top rope. It was some absolutely fantastic action in this match. Um, I don't think he'll ever get let down by guys like these. Um, and they gave them enough time, which was also probably a bit of a worry. You were thinking, you know, some of the other big egos in this company, these guys might get lost in the mix. But to be fair to whoever booked the show, they gave them some time. And I think this was a brilliant start to the pay per view. Easily the highlight for me as well.
3: I think. I think this is one of the best cruiserweight yeah. matches we've seen since WCW started doing cruiserweight. And Kira, I know you've seen bits to WCW. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's not uh, let, let's not say you've been completing the couple for the last few right. years, but I, I think this has been. Um, you know, my main criticism of the cruiserweight style is that it's you know. There's, there's far too lack of an emphasis on selling and far too much of an emphasis on getting your shit in. Yeah. Um, and also, in the not even that, but more in the case of there's far too much of an emphasis on let's come out the blocks really, really quickly and have a 15-minute match that never stops. This had... You know, the, yeah. as they kind of said, like, the the right amount of pace, there was a lot of submission-based work early on. There's about four sleeper holes in this match. And this is one of the only match I've ever seen where a sleeper hole has actually made sense in the storyline they were trying to tell. <laughs> and you had Dragon kind of working and working and working. And when Mysterio finally put his own in, the crowd popped. Yeah. You don't hear a pop for a sleeper hole very often unless it involves Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. And then the match built, and there were some nice spots, and Mysterio basically got the, the ship beaten out of him for the first 60% of the match, then he rallied through, those exchanges were good, and then we ended with a nice competitive finish, I thought this, you know, it, we've seen some very, very impressive cruiserweight matches in the last 18 months, but I don't know that we've seen very many better than this.
4: No, um, what, you know, a, cru- a cruiserweight that actually felt like, um, you know, that it actually felt like, actually, not to say the other ones haven't been thought put into it. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You know, it actually felt like... Didn't it feel like been... a circus show. Yeah, it didn't feel like everyone... Like you said, everyone's trying to get the shit in. So everyone was trying to do every kind of flip, flip-de-doo and, you know, launch off every single turnbuckle within the time limit. They're actually they're actually trying to tell the story and, like, trying to get the crowd... Rather than the crowd sort of... The sleeper's a good point. I actually had it related to a different move, but I used the sleeper where... They're not trying to get the crowd. The, obviously, the crowd is going to pop and react for the high flying stuff, Bob, but to actually get these guys to get the crowd to react to something as simple as a sleep hole, which is probably the best move in the match to get this point over, to actually get the crowd to pop for the cruiserweights through that kind of move is something you just don't see. Or well, you don't see those sort of moves, period, let alone the crowd react to them.
3: Yeah, I mean, how many how many moves have we seen? In, in the last year or so, in cruiserweight matches that have been far more impressive, well, miles more impressive than a sleeper hole, but not get that kind of reaction. Yeah. I'm not saying they came on glue when Mysterio put the sleeper in, um, but, but they actually pop for it. And yeah. sometimes you're watching cruiserweight stuff and they're going so quickly, the crowd don't have time to pop, or they're kind of like, well, you just did this big move, but the other guy just got straight back up. But yeah. like this, this, if you're going to do cruiserweight wrestling, this is the kind of model I go after. Um, I thought this was brilliant. Sure. Anyway. We get backstage with Lee Marshall, who's probably the last person I'd send in to get an interview with the MWO. He gets greeted by six, and the situation gets stormed by Scott Steiner. So, Nash says he has no problem taking the both on, but he wants Nick Patrick to referee. With that, Lash needs over half a dozen people who are kind of separating them all, and then Gob's in Steiner's face. That's spitting, if Gob doesn't translate across the Atlantic. <laughs> With that, Steiner gets held back and then maced and then uh, put in handcuffs. That was all a bit weird. I think the, the sort of Steiner was meant to have punched a police officer which was why he ended up getting maced and put in handcuffs. Uh, Kieran, I, I think as we kind of said at the top, like the, the, the the mechanics of this ending up being a singles match felt very forced and as Ugh. a result, this felt very forced. Oh, it's just...
4: It's just really odd and off. It, it fills everything with Nash and I, the the trouble with Nash is Bob I'll level with it and I've got it in my notes throughout the TV stuff and the play I have a lot of preconceptions with Nash because of the WWF stuff so the minute I feel something's a bit off I'm thinking well Nash has got hold of this Bob and he's he's just directing traffic it's all one way um, there's no way anybody's gonna ever ever gonna beat him unless it's a top guy for a belt or something so this probably this match coming up later on is probably not gonna mean much and I'm not gonna say I was right but i just you just get the feeling that everything is forced, like you say, and a lot of it comes from nash
3: yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if this was necessarily on nash i mean they they were right in the sense that if if hall wasn't available, they couldn't do a handicap match and i, I you know and this kind of ties in the stuff that's going on later in the month is that the, the the very you know let's let, let, let step back for a sec oh. that they've 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 they they've, uh, during this month they booted out Big Bubba and Wall Street from the NWO. And the one thing that I haven't really focused a big light on the last few months is what the hell happened to Eric Bischoff's Ultimatum when he said that you've got 30 days to tear up your WCW contracts and make them NWO contracts. And I think kind of what happened was they, at the time, had plans of this big NWO expansion. They were talking about NWO taking over WCW Saturday night and all of that. And so they added in all of these guys with the view that NWO is going to be its own thing. And then the four or five weeks that followed that ultimatum, they went, shit, this isn't going to work. Which is why I've ended up with a WC, uh, an NWO group that's felt a bit kind of fractured and disjointed. And I kind of wonder part of the reason they put Saris in there was to kind of give the, the group a bit of a boost because it felt like it was Nash, Hall's, Nash Hall, Hogan and a group of hanger-oners. Yeah. But the the offshoot is, is that now the group's not really expanding. They kind of had to kick a couple of guys out just because they were... Dragging VK Wall Street around doing nothing with it. Um, but now they've kind of got the point where they don't feel like they've got many acts on the level of Hogan and uh, Hogan Nash, Paul and Savage. And Six is going to come into this story later in the month, and that Six is going to be involved in the Slammy main event. But as uh, as the the guys on the Flair side have kind of said, well, Six doesn't really belong in that. Now, I think. I think Six was still injured at this point, which is why I wasn't wrestling on this show. Um, But basically, when we talk about reasons why they perhaps wouldn't have done a tag team match in this spot without Hall, was that they don't really want to present anyone else in the NWO at Nash's level, which seems a bit counterproductive. Because if it's not Six, if he's injured, Norton is still quite credible. God knows he looks like he's fucking built for the job. yeah. I, I, and Marcus Bagwell's the guy that you know. It doesn't feel like he belongs, but it's like, hello, this is how you make guys. You, you take Bagwell and you say, right, I'm going to fill in it's for like, Scott Hall. It, It's like you take you don't take someone
4: Bagwell out of what he's doing with his look and his obvious his obvious charisma. Well, well
3: he wasn't he wasn't doing that much before the N.W.O. Let's be honest. <laughs> All
4: right, well, oh, they, well, they take him out for some reason, so they must have seen they don't well. I'd say they don't just pick guys at random, but that's probably what they did, so I've probably just asked them. To be a question.
3: Yeah, the the, the, <laughs> the, bag, the bag one in particular might have been like that in that they were, that was right around that time where I think it might have been the same show where Bischoff said, I'm giving you an ultimatum. And I think they basically set it up that they wanted someone to turn and join the NWO, and they thought Bagwell was just the most obvious guy, that he was in a tag team so he could turn on Scotty Riggs. So it's possible that Bagwell was just in the group because for the hell of it. Um, But it's like, you want to make guys, yeah, even not Bagwell, Scott Norton looks like he fucking belongs. Beast. Scott Norton, if I charged at Scott Norton over a 50-yard dash, I'd run in Scott Norton. The guy wouldn't fucking move. No just knock you down but like Norton could have easily held this place and god knows Norton and Steiners had some heller entertaining matches go back a year 18 months whatever they were wrestling those are some good stuff too it just feels a bit weird it's like we've got a bad situation we could go with a simple solution that involves just subbing in someone else a haul, or we can crowbar the situation and have, let's have a singles match for the tag titles it, yeah, that that if anything sums up where WCW is at right now, I'd say this scenario is kind of it.
4: Like for all their, another another thing I've got from the TVs is uh, uh, it seems to me a lot of the stuff with the NWO is despite all their bravado, shoots and all that, they, a lot of them lack the courage of their own conviction. Is that they they make these decisions to say say take this aspect of bring guys in, they bring guys in and then they don't do anything with them. So do they bring them in just so it looks like they've got you know we've got more blokes than you?
3: Well, they've really had anyone to the group in a while, other than Savage. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've had anyone else to the group this year. I'm beyond like you know Dennis Rodman, um, you know. Um, but yeah, like it, it, the NWA feels a bit weird right now. I've got no idea why Fake Sting is still around, none whatsoever. I've got no idea why Fake Sting was still around the night after Fall Brawl last year. Fake Sting <laughs> ceased to become useful once we found out he wasn't the real Sting.
4: Yeah, it's, it's he's still it, it, there. It should have just like, and I mean that that's just, that's just, just. I mean, he's out there just to make up the numbers. At this point, now it's now now he's been rumbled. It's,
3: yeah, the point? there's no point at all. There's, there's no heat on that angle. He's just a hanger on. No. You got you got Vincent, yeah. who's the same. D B R C, who's kind of the same. Although we'll we'll see bits of that later on. All a bit weird. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. So, Medusa versus Akira Hokuto with Sonny Ono. Who's, I thought that was what went on there. Sonny Ono <laughs> wasn't involved in the opening match. He's out here. The WCW Women's Heavyweight title. Right on cue, we get USA, USA Chancellor. Medusa is basically wearing her best Lex Luger trunks. Hokuto starts out by chucking Medusa across the ring by her hair twice. That does seem to be a spot that only ever happens in all women's matches. Mm. We get in the corner. Medusa starts unloading with some very questionable strikes. We get a sleeper spot with Hokuto sat on the top turnbuckle. Medusa does a trio of running neck slows on Hokuto. She then whips her top off. She's got a second one underneath, it should be said, but the fans still pop. Medusa hits her head since it's taking Hokuto off to mm. the top. Ono gets some shots in on Medusa while Hokuto distracts the ref. Medusa hits a drop kick, then another. Lee Marshall then references Medusa holding, quote, one woman's title before throwing it in the garbage. There's a painful-looking German suplex which barely gets kicked out of. Medusa kicks Sonny on the apron then out comes Luna Vachon. She blindsides Medusa, enabling Hokuto to pick up the win after falling out of a powerbomb spot. What do you think of this? Mm. It was...
4: (coughs) There was some solid stuff in it. There was also some not great stuff in it. Um, not necessarily bad. Um, I thought Medusa. I thought actually I was quite impressed with Medusa. I've not seen I've not seen her in the ring before, um, and I quite like what she was doing. I'm not sure about Hakuto, um, but the the ending was just messy and didn't really come off. Like it needs to be. For me, Bob, it need, if you're not going to be, if that's going to be the end and you're not going to be able to kick out, it needs to be more than a tap on the back of the knee. It, yeah, it, it felt it, it was a good a good idea in that mm. you know um, Hakuto keeps the title. Medusa looked quite good work in the match. Now you just need to cap it off with Vishon doing the running and doing something really bad that causes Medusa to lose, and it just didn't quite come off. So I good idea in principle, happens. solidly worked match, but nothing spectacular at all.
3: I think this is what happens when you've got a, a, a title and a part of the roster that people don't really know anything about. Like the women appear very randomly. They they, they, they launched the WCW Women's Cruiserweight title, but by all accounts, that thing's just died a death. They, oh, uh, right. I think they ended up deciding that title tournament final in a show before nitro a match before nitro started one week Bloody um and we haven't really seen it since so they might be taking that for another day or not i don't know but yeah. i get the feeling these titles are a kind of ward so that wcw can have their women's titles defended in japan they really are over here i get the feeling it yeah. doesn't really help there's only really two american women on the roster they're willing to put in the ring and that's medusa and luna vachon then you get weird situations on nitro in a in about eight days time where vachon basically says that medusa's the champion when she's not it's all a bit weird the match yeah. was fine it's just you know it, 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 the, the reason medusa works the usa trunks is so the fans will care that's it like you know there's nothing else to this it's two acts they've got very little interest in a title that's got very very little credibility right now very, very little equity. And that's just the problem. A uh, match that wasn't long enough to be any good with a finish that was shit that it wipes out any credit they built in the match. Yeah. Move on. Next up, it's Lord Steven Regal versus Prince Iukaya for the WCW television title. Iukaya gets a mild pop coming out. Regal starts working the crowd, which is quite a clever idea. If they hate him, they might even like Iukaya carries on for a few minutes. Struvoni then says Scott Steiner has been arrested. They're saying the tag titles could now be defended in a singles match. Apparently Steiner's arrested for hitting a police officer. It wasn't really clear during the first instance, so it's a good job they uh, patched that in. Back to the match. Regal starts working the arm. Ayukaya counters and the crowd flatten. Ayukaya comes off the top with a crossbody on from Regal and then nearly over-rotates. We get a test of strength into a bridge. IUK keeps the higher ground until Regal kips up and slaps IUK okay comes off the top with a crossbody Regal simply walks out of the way of it which looked really good Iocao rallies as Regal runs into a series of moves Regal slides into something okay sits out in it and gets a three count for the win Regal gets straight back up after the match and goes on the attack and puts in the Regal stretch Kieran what do you think oh. Nor- normally
4: Bob I'm, I, I like um, I think this has got more to do with uh, Iocao than Regal but I I normally like Regal style, so you know the slow, methodical, but it was everything that Ikea did that sort of, well, not to put a final point on it, pissed me off. And I think Ikea really let this match down because they seemed to lose the crowd almost instantly. Um, and I think that a lot of that was to do with Ikea. Whatever he was trying to do counter his offence was just, it's just god awful. So, and it, in, in that in that respect it kinda of makes Regal probably look worse than what he was actually doing because like I said I like Regal style. But in terms of a match you know, in terms of perspective of the match, if the other guy countering Regal stuff isn't very good, it kinda of makes the match not very good. So again, boring, nothing it wasn't awful, but it just it just didn't go anywhere. And the biggest thing was the crowd was flat. That's the biggest thing that took away from that.
3: Yeah, Regal tried really, really did. hard, didn't he? he did. um, but it was a case of the, the the crowd were quite happy to boo Regal, but they just weren't happy to cheer IOK. Okay. I mean, this yeah, I mean, he has lots. What of is style. the deal
4: with that guy? Because he has the sorry, Bobby. I, I've got note all the notes always. I've got he, he, he has the look. Well, I see, I I mean, he,
3: well, yeah, but. He, I don't know. He has the look. I mean, he's got a decent look, but it's it, it's more just a case of like we don't really know who he is, and they kind of thrust him into a, a, a spot that he's not ready for yet. It's basically mm. the Rocky Maivia thing in WCW, mm. um, and yeah, like there's just there's nothing there's nothing to this guy. There's nothing to this act, um, and that's kind of the issue right now is why it's not translating. It's the crowd don't care about it. Like the the, the Prince thing. They didn't seem he has the.
4: The only other the only other thing I got is that, that to say about him was, all right, if he if he's a bit if he's a bit green in the ring, like I said, I'm not going to talk too much because I haven't seen a lot of his in ring work. But if he's a bit green in the ring, at least play on the Prince part of it. So maybe get I the don't know the Prince thing that. isn't
3: just a name really. Like they've never really no. fleshed that out beyond more than just his, okay. his name, <laughs> Prince. Agnes. Yeah, it's. it's, it's, uh, it's they, they, they picked a guy. They thought, "Can we can we make a guy by giving him mid card title?" And the answer is no. And a couple of weeks later on Nitro, sure they uh, that they, they finally worked out the game and they finally taken the title. Off. Oh,
4: okay, all right. Well, I'll just leave. I'll leave it there. Then if that. I, I,
3: <laughs> I, I might have been inclined to take the title off you on this show. But yeah. I, uh... Uh, yeah,
4: I don't think you'd have been. Uh, I think it well, I mean...
3: would in a, we, we've spoken before about, you know, on, on other shows, like I remember ECW last month, we kind of said, well, the, the tag title change made more sense there because it was it was headline one or two rather than headline number six had it have happened on on, on, on the pay-per-view, although actually it actually did again. Um, but this might have been the other way around. It might have been a case of, well, on Nitro in amongst all this shooty random angles, a title change might have got lost, whereas if it had happened here in the middle of the show, people might have remembered it a little bit more. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. Gene Oakland plugs the hotline, pushing the emergence of a new click, not the people we've been talking about, somebody new that we can't talk about here. So there's a story here. So basically, Oakland plugs the hotline, but it wasn't, it wasn't him doing it, it was, uh, Jeff Katz and Mark Madden. And apparently, the, 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 the gimmick was, was that Madden and Jeff Katz basically did a parody of a Gene Oakland hotline. So they talked for five <laughs> or six minutes about something completely unrelated to all of that, and then the final fifteen seconds of the call said, "Oh yeah, there's a new clip for him involving Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit," and that was it. You put and apparently you, know, you pay like one dollar fifty a minute, and the calls takes five minutes. He's so you, you know. There on the game uh, Oakland also mentioned news of a car accident which was an accident that involved Regal, Benoit and Nancy Benoit and Nancy do travel together talk about living a gimmick uh, they're in, they're on the way to the show, I think the morning off they got hit by a, a car coming in the other direction they, the car they were in rolled twice but apparently they were largely fine the only major incidents were Nancy was a bit banged up and Benoit actually had a cut on his hand that ended up opening up during the match but that's what that was I'm saving people money, if nothing else, at the moment. (laughs) So, out comes Ric Flair. He says the functioning horseman, Mongo Jarrett and Benoit, will walk the aisle in horseman style tonight. He says he has clearance to return on May the 1st, calls Benoit a bad ombre and Jarrett a pretty boy. He gives a shout-out to Juan Anderson going in for surgery on Tuesday. Flair says Kevin Green has been given clearance to wrestle in WCW. Flair said he called Kevin Green about wrestling next month in Charlotte. Makes it sound like they'll be on the same team, which in some ways makes no sense because obviously, you know, Green got turned on by the NWO, uh, by the Four Horsemen last year at Great American Bash, as he kind of said in the news. When you've got Green in, in Carolina country, which is where he plays, you've got Flair in Carolina country, yeah. uh, you know, that was the only way they could do it so essentially horseman and green versus the nwo that's actually going to be flair Piper and green versus the nwo we'll come to that later next up it's the public enemy rocco rock and johnny grunge versus steve mcmichael and jeff jarrett with deborah mcmichael rocco hangs onto the ropes a couple of times outsmarting mongo jarrett gets a shot in on rock from the apron and mcmichael hits a three-point stance to clear the ring mongo and jarrett do a stereo jarrett strut which gets the big pop Jarrett and Mongo are on the same pace, that's the story so far, with Mongo giving Jarrett some leverage on an abdominal stretch. Jarrett goes for a leapfrog, but Grunge just stops and slaps Jarrett as he returns to Earth. But Michael hits a nice tilt and well body slam, that was nice. Jarrett and Grunge spills the floor, which livens up the crowd. Grunge sends Jarrett into the guardrail, and Mongo and Rock go up the aisleway. Mongo sends Rock into a wagon on the set. Grunge pushes Deborah onto a table, but Jarrett hits him with a chair. Meanwhile, Mongo sends Rock into a steer or a bull on the set. That's really good. Grunge comes off the top with an elbow drop, but Jarrett moves and Grunge goes clean through the table. Jarrett hits the crossbody from the top as all four returns to the ring. Deborah tricks r- trips Rocco rock. Jarrett hits a body slam onto both. Jarrett locks in a babyface uh, locks for a babyface cheer like he hasn't been a heel all match. Looks for a baby face cheer almost. There we go. Like he hasn't been heel or match. Rock grabs the Halliburton, whacks Jarrett with the case, Grunge pins Jarrett and wins the match. The ref counts the three with a case right next to Jarrett's shoulder. Kieran. Mm. Again
4: I kind of wanted this to go one way, and being a big ECW fan, you might guess what that might be. But I get I get the feeling that they weren't willing to go all the way, and this is probably something general related to the WCW as a company as a whole. They probably don't do all-out brawls. But we could have had a WCW version of an all-out brawl. I think there was some good... Don't get me wrong, though. There was. A, this is one of the, the better matches on the card, I think. But... I think it would have played to more strengths. It would have played to Mungo's strengths, because he's not the best wrestler in the world, and it would have easily played into the, the, uh, the public enemy's strengths to have it more of a brawl. But what they tried to do was kind of, this match didn't know, didn't know one way or another what it wanted to be. At times it felt a bit muddled, but then in amongst all of the muddle and the mess, there were some actually some quite good spots. Um, so again, not completely awful, but I think this could have been so much
3: better than it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that when you say better matches, I'd argue it was probably one of the more coherent matches on the card, yeah. well, or necessarily better. Um, more in the sense that it was kind of a match of two halves, and the first half was designed to get the story over of Mongo and Jarrett being on the same page, which lasted about a week based on what happened on Nitro and subsequent. And then. We kind of went into this public enemy style walking brawl the problem with the first half of the match that while it was getting a good story over it wasn 't really any good or any or interesting and then we kind of descended into this walking brawl it wasn 't really long enough or or interesting enough, and then you have this fuck finish as well. Mm. It was fine I, yeah. I, I, on, on balance, it could have been worse, but yeah, I think it's you know Jarrett isn 't an act that interests me, M- Michael interests me in bits and pieces, but it kind of depends what he 's doing. Um, and the public enemy needs to be in a different spot. And as we kind of said previously, I think they need to be in a different style of match.
4: Definitely. Def- definitely. something that plays more to their strengths, you I alluded
2: to the fact that there's the emergence of a new click in World Championship Wrestling. Our telephones have been ringing off the hook. Folks, there's a new gang in town. Mark Madden, Jeff Katz, and myself will talk about it tonight on the hotline. Buzz this up at 1-900-909-9900. That's 1-900-909-9900. Some kind of a story breaking here at Spring Stampede. I want at this time to have, come on in if you would, Sister Sherry, Booker T, Stevie Ray to Harlem Heat. Gentlemen, a match that really is turning out to be something else because, I guess, of the high stakes. The winner of this one getting a shot at Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the WCW Heavyweight Championship of the World. The winner of this four-corner match between Lex Luger, the Giant, these two men here tonight, indeed is a big, big match in all of their careers. However, I should point out for the record something different. The way you win this one is with the first pin or the first submission. And sister Sherry, you may be directing traffic. It's conceivable these two men will face each other.
6: We have everything planned out. We have our strategy down to a minute point. It doesn't matter if they're in there together because we have a plan for that too. We have gone over and over and over again. And no matter which one's in there, we're behind the other. Divide and conquer.
2: I thank you very much. Booker T, we've seen the intensity of the matches here tonight, and I expect the same thing is gonna happen in this four quarter match.
1: Let
6: me tell you something, Gene Can you
1: out here talking about a click. No, the click you need to know about is the Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry. See, because what you dealing with here is the brotherhood. It's non-stop from this point on in WCW. We take what we want, and after we take Lex Luger and the Giants, we want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga.
2: I should point out for the record, Stevie Ray, look at this. Take a look. We're talking about the rack, the torture rack of Lex Luger. And what about the chokeslam of the Giant? These are the things you're going to have to deal with tonight. What about the Harlem
1: Hangover? What about the Heat Seeker? What about the Tower Inferno? I don't see nobody talking about that. You think we came out here because it's time for Room, sucker? Well, let me tell you something. When me and my brother go to school, <laughs> the principal checks out. Lex Luger, Giants, get ready because we're coming for the gold. That's Hogan's gold, and you two suckers are in the way. We're taking y'all one at a time. Now, can you dig it?
2: Yeah. I thank you very much. I suspect, Sister Sherry, like many of the managerial uh, the gold. Uh, people that I've uh, known, if uh, your man come up with a victory tonight, I'm assuming there's going to be a little party.
6: There is going to be a great big party in oh, Harlem no tonight. Much. We're going to oh, pick man. our skirts up, and we're going to knock our legs all over the place, and we're going to celebrate the gold.
1: Gene, yeah. it's a lot of knuckleheads. I there, I've been looking over at Harlem Heat, but after the night, after we get the shot with Hulk Hogan, all the knucklehead suckers can lay to rest, because we taking it all. Now, can you dig
2: it? All right, Harlem, Harlem Heat, sister Jerry, I thank you. By the way, Bobby Heenan, you
3: probably heard about that party thats up. Major Oakland says telephones have been ringing off the hook, hook like the hotline isn't pre-recorded messages it is. We have Oakland joined by Harlem Heat. Book T says after they defeat the giant and Luger, they're coming after Hulk Hogan. Does let the N-word slip out, I think he just got a bit excited. He, it showed give him an awkward look, but they did manage to recover the whole segment. And for what it's worth, nothing came of that, you're wondering. The, the word did air and edited, but I haven't read anything to suggest that him or anyone else got in any trouble for all of that. There were a few comments later in the month that people thought might get into some trouble, only from Ric Flair, but nothing came of this. Anyway. Next up, it's Chris Benoit with Woman vs. Dean Malenko for the WCW United States Heavyweight title. In the exchange of headlocks and arm drags, Benoit throws Malenko through the ropes. Benoit drops to the outside, but Malenko beats him back in the ring. Benoit has cut cut his forehead. That might have been a result of the accident earlier in the day. Malenko locks in a leg lock and Benoit briefly grabs a hold of Malenko's ankle for a yin and yang submission. Benoit works an arm submission, we then get a test of strength. Oh, and woman has started howling. Malenko goes for a small package, more screeching. Benoit hits a chop, then another, but that seems to fire Melenko up, who locks in a camel clutch. Benoit rallies out, deadlifting Melenko out of an arm scissors and slamming into the mat. That was really impressive. Benoit hits a snap suplex, Melenko fires Benoit into the core and then follows him straight in with a clothesline. Benoit hits, slides out of a suplex, then hits a reverse front suplex. That looked really good. Out comes Jacqueline. Match just disintegrates yeah. at this point. Jacqueline comes out after woman. Jimmy Hart comes out and nicks the US title belt. Benoit hits a massive diving headbutt. Hart gets back towards the ring by Eddie Guerrero, who's on the R-Way. Benoit drops Milenko over the top rope. Malenko hits a suplex onto Benoit over the top to the floor and out comes Arne Anderson. Anderson hits Malenko and sends them both into the ring and there comes Kevin Sullivan who Arne lets him walk right past. Sullivan hits Benoit with a cane, the referee calls for the belt, it's all a bit weird. And a weird scene that ends the match, Guerrero gets dragged to the back by Sullivan, Jacqueline, and Hart carrying Malenko's US title belt. Just as if like, dragged to the back and they basically just, like, escorted him away. Yeah. After the match, Benoit and Malenko have words. They seem to mutually agree that Guerrero, Guerrero or someone else could have been all of them wasn't supposed to be there. Um, Kieran, as we've seen before, they, they've let Benoit and Malenko go, but as ever they seem to let them go in circumstances, they'll never let them have a clean win. Oh. And, and as, as finishes go, I cannot recall a match <laughs> overloaded with <laughs> such a bizarre set of interferences as in this one. But, we all know I, I like to
4: champion the phrase call an audible, yeah? Uh, yeah. I, I, I might have said that once or twice.
3: Mostly incorrectly, but yes. <laughs> you know you like to
4: say it. <laughs> this is just I, just... I was just laughing. Because, like you said, some of, the, some of the stuff in this match was just so good. It was just like, oh my God, we're actually, this is actually going to be right in the middle of the card. The, the OK public enemy match, the really good Cruiserweight match, And then I'm going to get this. And I was like, yes, come on. This is really going to pick the card up now. And it was going great guns until all that crap started happening. And then just my God, I've never seen, and even, even I, even I wouldn't overbook that much. That was just absolutely dreadful. Up to that, up to that point when Jacqueline come down, Bob, the match was really good, verging on going to be like really, really, really good. Because we all know that these guys can work. And you were just thinking, well, they've given like 10, you know, 9, 10 minutes on their own. And then it just descends into chaos. And it just, dud. I have no real opinion because it just ruined it all. Yeah.
3: Yeah. um, I mean, they were about 10 minutes short, but they were on the way towards a fantastic match, we talk about the, the opening match having the the really good first kind of five, ten minutes with the slow build. This kind of had that. They're working the submissions. We had some fucking brilliant set pieces from Benoit. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah. The, the, the deadlift. Blake an a dude to deadlift him out of an arm lock and just power was fantastic. Uh, the kind of reverse front suplex looked really, really nice as well. And then it just all disintegrated and like they you know it's the whole thing in, in marketing they say don't don't give the don't give your don't give your prospective audience 10 different messages because they won't register any of them give them one and they might remember it i kind of felt like this here don't have 10 different interferences because they all kind of wipe each other out yeah give me one and then i'll remember it i won't give me none it's kind of that would be better um but, yeah, I, like they, they seem to be moving towards Benoit and Malenko kind of eventually getting on the same page. So that kind of makes sense. I suppose if you, you have a deluge of interference, there's, there's something to that. Um, but it's like, I just felt a bit deflated at the end. It's like, oh, and I kind of yeah. felt sorry for the guys involved. They worked really hard for 10 or 12 minutes. And it's like, you, you know, and it's the only thing, as I said before, sometimes, you, sometimes matches wrestlers cannot put a lot of effort in because they know this ma- the finish is going to be shit, so there's no point. I thought like these in any way. Yeah, but- I've never. That sounds like a really good point. I'd
4: actually not thought of it in that way. In that these guys have gone out there, Bob, and absolutely like tore the house down and like given it, given you know both of them have given everything. And to be fair to them, they didn't really fucking need to, did they? Really? If let's be honest, if that was going to be the finish, they could have quite easily gone five minutes in. They'd have gone well. Should we bother Chris? Nah, Dean. Let's just half-ass it because it's all going to be a fucked finish anyway. So why bother? But they didn't. So credit. Well,
3: I, I guess to a point. I think these two have probably got a couple of extra gears they could have gone into. But yeah, yeah it's it's you know the 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 problem that have got right now, and it is self-inflicted. So they got these three mid-card titles, but there's there's yeah, there's probably one too many. Um, you know the the cruiserweight title doesn't mean much anymore because the as, as we've seen. Cruiserweights isn't in itself a division anymore, it's just a, a title. Yeah. that You have I.U.K. are losing the television title one week and then the next week on Martra wrestling for the Cruiserweight title against Six. And then you've got these two, you've got Malenko who's like a three-time Cruiserweight champion, that holds the United States title without any rhyme or reason why. You've got three mid-card titles that ostensibly don't mean anything different. What does being a champion of the television mean if it can be defended on pay-per-view? What does being a champion of the United States mean? What does being a cruiserweight champion mean if you can just wrestle for one of the other two belts just as easily?
5: Yeah,
3: That doesn't have any credence. And when you have matches like this, it's like, ah, oh, I'm just struggling to care. Yeah. That's yeah. that. Anyway. We got next to Kevin Nash with Six, Teddy B R C, and possibly Nick Patrick, who may be the ref he was, versus Rick Steiner for the WCW Tag Titles. Nash starts out with some hard shots in the corner. Six pulls the top rope, uh, sending Rick Steiner to the floor. Patrick tends to Nash, so Six gets some shots in. Nash picks up Steiner with a big side slam. He chokes him on the middle rope and then drops a leg across his shoulders. Nash hits a jackknife. Rick kicks out. Wow. Yeah, just to reiterate, Nash did hit a jackknife powerbomb, covered Rick pretty quickly, Rick kicked out. Nash didn't rush for the cover, but it was more of a slow walk than anything. Nash sets for another one, and Rick just low blows him. The fans start to rally behind Rick, who heads to the top, and it's a lovely off on Nash. Rick goes for a cover, the camera angle doesn't show it clearly, but the announcers call a bad call. Uh, let me start again. So, Rick hits a bullet off of the top rope onto Nash. Rick goes to the cover. The camera doesn't really show it, but the announcers say that Nash didn't kick out and it was actually a, a bad call from Patrick, whereas the actual replays show that Nash quite clearly just kicked out. Six it's a spin kick from the apron. Rick fires right back, but Nash takes advantage of the distraction. Six slowly attempts to remove the turnbuckle pad. They're properly, they're properly held on, so DBRC gets in to help out. They finally manage it as Patrick watches on. Nash drops Strider's head, head first onto the exposed turnbuckle he does it again DBRC gets on the apron and starts having a chat with Nash apparently DBRC wants Nash to stop the match Nash says he'll say when it's enough Nash Rick, drops Rick over the exposed turnbuckle again. DBRC gets to the ring for walking off. My notes simply read, what the fuck is going on? Nash does it for a fourth time then it's another jack nine. Even Nick Patrick doesn't want to make the count. stops halfway through and Nash just lunges at him in a way to say, count this fucking thing. So Patrick counts the three but Patrick walks off unhappy. Kieran? Like I said with
4: the thing with Nash at the In, you know, where Steiner gets dragged off, everything, it just feels off and this is, this is kind of what I thought it was going to be leading to where it's just complete one way traffic. Steiner gets in the odd bit of offense here and there. DBRC helps with the turnbuckle but then says it's well, I, I
3: bet he helped with Tarmuckle, because Six couldn't get it off. Oh, right. <laughs> I, think that was, I think that was the idea there. I don't think there was any story there. Six oh,
4: there about, I read far too much into that one.
3: Six, six was there for about 20 seconds, and nothing was happening. I and mean, they're like, <laughs> shit, this is the set piece of the match.
4: So, so think, so, someone's tired a sailors knot round here. Something like that. Go. Uh, um, just complete one-way traffic. I'm just like, what, what is the what was the actual point of this? What what we? I mean, if we, again, again we're try, uh, the thing it achieves, I guess, is um, the overarching thing for WCW as a whole at the minute is the NWO and the dissension. Now, it gets over that quite well, but I just thought they could have given Steiner a bit more to do, if I'm honest.
3: Um, I mean, well, I, I, you know, the, 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 the most noteworthy thing about this match was Rick Steiner kicking out with Jackknife Powerbomb. Like, that really hasn't happened all of that much. Um, you know, I was trying to work this out when I watched the show last week in terms of times would have seen it happen before because it's a move that's been incredibly well protected. I don't even necessarily know that Shawn Michaels kicked out of one when he beat him in April last year. I don't do know think, whether it was... a. Do you think they're even aware then? The fact that Rick Steiner... Uh, aware of, aware
4: out... of what? The, the fact that Rick Steiner's kicked out of a, a jackknife because they didn't seem to make a massive deal out of it.
3: Uh, Well, Kevin Nash is definitely fucking aware of it, because Kevin Nash wouldn't have been doing the move in that spot, knowing that there was more of the match to come. Um, You know, I mean... It's possible the idea was he was meant to time waste a lot more, but he didn't really do a good enough job of doing that. And it's his own finishing. He'll project it if he needs to. And the Nats have their own problem calling other things in this match. I wonder whether it was just a concession, whether it was a concession to Rick. But you're right, for, for such a big moment, because I don't think the Jack Knife's ever been kicked out of WCW before. Maybe wrong on that, but I don't think it has been. Um, but they didn't really make much of a big deal of it. I don't quite know why because then the thought was well why do the move at the time yeah. of the match? That was the, the bigger point. But
4: you it thought if he a was big... going to kick out of that it would lead to you know Rick having a massive rally wouldn't you? Sort of thing.
3: Yeah. I mean I almost wondered if that was a concession. You know Rick you're going to get the shit beaten out. Oh and right. Like, okay. I, yeah, I, well yeah. I don't know. I'm just speculating. No no. But, but it makes, but it would
4: make sense within the, the context the of con- this match
3: because the real story of
4: this match is, again is the NWO dissension so it's like well, we'll throw Rick a bone of kicking out of a jackknife, but really, what we need to get over is the fact that we don't—we're not getting on.
3: Yeah, I, I, it might explain to a point why, uh, why why they didn't really follow up on it. They, 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 we'll give you the concession of kicking out of the move, but lads, let's not make a big point of it, right? Okay, um, because. Yeah, I mean, it makes way more sense to have that be a, a, a much bigger move, much further down the line, a much bigger moment, much further down the line. Yeah. I can't, I quite like the story they're told. I mean, I suspect, as I say, I, I I don't know for certain. I suspect DBRC's involvement on the, you know, because as you say, the the idea that D B R C would help Six undo the turnbuckle pad, and then a minute <laughs> later would be would, would be would be all over the fact that Nash was. Would, would, I just be,
4: love the fact that I've just read far I've read far too much into that, and it's just the fact that Six couldn't.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I suspect so but Six was clearly struggling um, clearly struggling um, but yeah like, I I quite like the story they were telling I, I think you know, we talk about the finish of the previous match being you know, you're throwing us too many points of reference and not all of them are getting over I wonder whether they tried a bit too much here I don't know necessarily whether it was a great idea to have DBRC walk off and then Patrick
4: no Six, yeah I I, I that's the, the other night for this match is they should have done one or the other. I think the DBRC holds more weight within that group. And just have him walk off because he's quite a vocal and he's obviously there as like a spokesman for the group. So if the NWO, if one of the mouthpieces of the NWO just says, look, boys, too much, I'm off, that's fine. And then just have Patrick continue as it was.
3: Yeah um that's that's quite possible um but yeah we've got more to discuss about nick patrick i quite like the match though um we talk about investment and we talk about storytelling and things mattering i thought they got a lot over here you know i thought rick looks kind of like a badass for taking a beating um i thought nash looked like a bit of a dick for taking a beating too far um you know, I think they tried too much with six DBRC and Patrick, but it wasn't, like, too much in a way that was negative. But
4: it wasn't. No. It, and like I said, it wasn't. It was nowhere. Like I said, that this is, this, it, in comparison, like I said, in comparison to the ending of that other match, this was fairly considered. In the, the, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, in that way, it was really good.
3: And, and yeah, like, you know, enough going, I don't think it was a great match, but enough going on to make it noteworthy. Mm. And I think more positives than negatives, for sure, certainly given the a lot of this contributes to what goes on on television as well.
2: Tony, I don't know what to tell you. I do know that I've been standing by here back in the locker room area. We do have a monitor, Lex Luger and the Giant, myself, taking a look and seeing what the NWO is capable of doing. And on the subject of the NWO, the target, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the WCW, heavyweight title of the, the world. These two men are Going to be in a four quarters match involving the harlem heat booker t and stevie ray these men are not in a great frame of mind tonight and i know the giant uh, as a xnw you certainly have got some definite thoughts on this particular match
6: i have some definite thoughts on this match and i know from the very beginning this is hulk hogan's plan he's trying to put brother against brother and friend against friend But what Hulk Hogan didn't ever count on and couldn't ever imagine in his life was the fact that Lex and I are friends. We train together, we eat together, we ride together, we wrestle together, and we are a team. And when you're that much of a team, you can understand. You can look each other in the eyes, and I know that tonight if I have to wrestle you and you beat me in the ring, then you deserve the title shot against Hulk Hogan. If I beat Lex, then I deserve the title shot. And if Harlem heat beats Lex or myself... Then they deserve a title shot. Right now, you've got four athletes who are going to go out there and give everything that they have from the bottom of their shoes to the top of their head. And believe you me, I am not quitting. I am going at this full force. If I have to tear off both Harlem Heat's heads to do it, I will. It's relentless.
2: All right, the Evantra in professional wrestling, the WCW heavyweight title, Lex Luger. Nobody knows the importance of that title, what it means, both in terms of self gratification and prestige in the wrestling world.
7: We all know. After watching what NWO has done for the past year, he's been the hell and back again with the NWO. He understands it deep in the pit of his stomach. We've all been made sick by what's going on. WCW is here to claim what's theirs. This is the shot at Hollywood Hogan. He is the emblem for the NWO. The Giant knows it, I know it, and Harlem, he knows it. This is for everything that we stand for as athletes the competitors in World Championship Wrestling. We're here to put some prestige back in the name World Championship Wrestling. We're sick and tired of what's been going on, and the Giant and myself are a cohesive unit. We're not here to tear each other apart, we're here to accomplish something, and that is the one goal, and that's to get a shot, the chance, at the world title, and bring it back home, where it belongs. And Harlem Heat, you've made your feelings very clear, last Monday night on Nitro, when you attacked the Giant and I. We know what we face when we go out to the ring, the
3: intensity is gonna be high!
7: And Mean Gene, we
3: We get backstage right. with Giant and Luger, Giant says he and Lex are friends, they train, they ride, and they eat together. And tonight, whoever wins will be the rightful person that should take on Hulk Hogan. And that's next up. It's Harlem Heat. Well, actually, well, is it a 4 way? I can't remember. It's Harlem Short Heat. Booker Yeah. So but technically it's Booker T and Stevie Ray versus Lex Luger. So, I'll try again. Booker T versus <laughs> Le- Lex Luger versus Stevie <laughs> Ray versus The Giant. I'm fucking confused trying to say it. Hey, like,
4: but, but, mate, I've come into it fresh. I, 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 I have no idea. I was, even was, when
3: they were walking out, I was thinking... What? Because Texting. it was it was it was a four way <laughs> match, but but they had they had the heat come out together, yeah. and the graphic on the lower third said Harlem Heat, Harlem Heat, and then did Luger and Giant come out together? I can't. Um, I presume yeah, they did because Giant doesn't have any music, so I presume they both came out with Luger's music. It's and, ludicrous. And, 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 and it was, ostensibly, a tag match. Oh, God. It was actually a tag match. It, it's, your, it's your crazy, you know, when we talk right, about... On to, the, <coughs> on to the
4: main event, then. Let's go. Right, let's
3: go. We've got enough to discuss here. It, it was dry, your, You're usually crazy, kind of, you know, when they have those triangle tag matches where it's two in the ring and four on the yeah. outside. You tag whether you want. <laughs> what a mess this was. Anyway, so, so, yeah, formerly this was a four-way singles match, although basically it was a tag match. Anyway. Oh. We start out with Booker and Luger. Booker misses a sidekick and Luger hits a big press slam. Luger gets a boot up in the corner then runs over Booker with a big clothesline. We get Giant and Stevie Ray tagged in. Ray turns to Sherry for some advice. With Giant on top, Sherry rallies her team on the outside. We get Luger versus Giant. Luger goes for a body slam but collapses under the weight of Giant. Luger kicks out. They stand off. They get up. Both men tag a member of Harlem Heat which gets the crowd whipped up. This is what we mean when we talk about it. it is a tag match, but partners will end up facing each other at points. Ray shows Booker up. we get a crossover, a frog. and they do some sort of hand gesture and look really pleased with themselves. They return to a normal tag, with Harlem Heat working over Luger and the Giant. See Ray attempts a big scissors kick on Giant. He basically missed, but I'll give him props for getting a leg that high in the air. Luger picks Ooh. up Ray for a scoop slam then a belly to back on Booker. He signals for the rack, which gets a pop, but Luger gets picked off by Ray. Booker hits a sidekick onto Luger for a two. Ray put seen in a sleeper on Luger who rallies. Booker hits a kick on Luger but Giant breaks up the pin. Booker goes for an elbow drop but Luger moves and he tags in Giant who goes after both members of the Heat. A big pass slam so onto Ray then a big boot to Booker over the top. Giant singles for a chokeslam but walks over to Luger and asks Luger to tag himself in. Luger puts Ray in the rack, and Luger wins the match and the title shot. He and Giant give each other a big bear hug to end the segment. Kieran, what a load of poo! I was I was confused before. We've just said I was confused.
4: Oh, oh dear, I can't work it out now. I've seen it twice. I was confused before it because, like I said, they came down together, and then I, I had before I made the notes. I said four corners match, blah 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 blah. blah. Then they come down together. I'm like wait, is there something changed and now it's a tag match? Don't really understand what's going on. Right, let's go with it. Maybe we'll get some out of it. Because I've said before in previously WCW shows, love Harlem Heat. I think they're just great team. Um, but the, the Harlem Heat facing each other thing didn't really go anywhere. They got a crowd reaction, I guess. Um, Luger being <coughs> made out to be a baby face again, just doesn't really work. Shivani like says he's drawing power from the fans. Well, no, you dancing, babyface? I know you
3: haven't been on the show in a while, but Luca's definitely a babyface now. Yeah. yeah. It didn't really the, work very, for very, me. Very, Well, all right. Very definitely yes. black and white on the Luca front. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I'd agree. Like this, this whole thing was just a bit of a mess. Um, it was, you know, like it was. Yeah, you know, we talk about it's kind of, a, a lot. Of this show is a case of you know, throwing 10 messages at the audience and, and, and hoping they catch them all. And it's like, well, no, I mean, like, you know, it was a hard enough content as it was, like a a, a four-way singles match involving Harlem Heat for a shot at the at Hulk Hogan's world title. I like Booker T, I like Stevie Ray, but nothing about their presentation since they've been in WCW suggests they're in that spot yet. Nothing about their presentation suggests Booker T versus Hulk Hogan is a pay-per-view-level, world title-level match, because they haven't done enough yet Um, with Booker T. There's that. There's the the problem of that. It was very believable in that sense. But it's also not believable in the sense that it was a tag match. Like, it was just a tag match. If it had been a four-way singles match, it would basically, it, you know, had it been a four-way singles match, like a, a, a public enemy-style walking brawl involving basically the, the two teams pairing off against each other, I kind of would have been okay with that. Yeah, but
4: and you, then you could have had, the, you could have had, like, the, the thing where, I don't know, you know, you, you have a tag team match, like you said, you have a brawl, and then at points, you know, a, a partner will go for the pin, and maybe the other guy on on his team will see his partner go for a pin and say, well, "Hang on a minute, no, I want the shot." And you could do different things that way rather than this crap.
3: Yeah, and also the point that when when Giant and Luger tagged in Stevie and Booker, why didn't one of Stevie and Booker just lay down in the ring and the other one pin
4: them? Oh, Bob, you're preaching to the converted, mate.
3: Because, like, okay. you know, like uh, uh, as far as the mechanics of which one deserves the shot, surely in Harlem Heat's mind, two brothers, they might say, well, you know, these two yeah. guys are pretty giant dudes. Let's just agree that you'll get the shot or I'll get the shot. Like, yeah. you know, it's... it's it, 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 the, the match in itself could have been quite intriguing, but they presented it in a way that completely killed the mechanics of it.
4: And then for, and then for Giant to just say, there you go, Lex, you have the... Gu-
3: what are you in there for then why are you... well oh. because because Giant knows everyone's sick of giant versus hogan we' seen oh, it. He, he knows we've seen it enough times, but yeah, I know what you mean, I suspect you know, he <laughs> he said it in the pro before the match, you know like we're we're working together, Luger deserves the shot, etc., etc., et that kind of thing i yeah, okay so he's, al- he's
4: already alluded to it so.
3: It's again, it's one of those things where the match going in made no sense because Harlem Heat didn't feel like they belonged in a match with such ramifications. The mechanics of the match made no sense. And therefore, once you've got those two things in place, it doesn't really matter. It just, you know, it, it just doesn't it doesn't really stick. I think that's no. the that point. We get a pro from Dusty Heenan and Larry Zabisco, they're promoting Slam saying they need an opposition to Hulk Hogan and the NWO. Well, just Jim Duncan, guys, that's the answer. We get, we get a pro from Dallas Page and Kimberly. Kimberly says Page is a powerful, rage is a powerful emotion, sorry, and she's going to let it rise. And it's time for the main event: Ranny Savage with Liz versus Diamond Dance Page with Kimberly in a no disqualification match. Interesting place to start before we get to the match. Kieran, we discussed this at the end of last month's show, talking about the the, the potential main event for this show. And I think the original idea was that it was going to be the tag match with the the, the, the Hall and, uh, and Nash against the Steiners. Wow. Um, uh, but yeah, I've I haven't really read that concretely; just someone mentioned it. Um, but with the fact that I think when it went to a singles match, they thought better of it. Um, but, Kieran, we, we, we talk about presentation, and we talk about action in matches where they don't feel like they belong. We've got Darren Dallas Page in a main event in 1997, and as he said in a promo on Nitro, either the next night or the next week, imagine two years ago, you'd have said Diane Dallas Page would have been yeah. a main event, you'd have been laughed out the room. But, Kieran, I, I, I got this match going, and I kind of thought... Pace just about feels like he belongs here on what is ostensibly a B-level pay-per-view. Pace did not feel out of place in the main event. No, no I
4: don't, not at all. Again, I, like, I keep going. Coming fresh into it, <coughs> there might have been, you know, sort of rumblings in the in the news or whatever that people aren't happy with him. But I don't think that in no way um, comes from what the guy is actually doing. I think it might be more that people are getting maybe slightly jealous jealous of his spot. Because he's certainly not overawed by it. And I think, in fact, Bobby, I think he's relishing in it.
3: Yeah. Um, maybe, he's know,
4: not, maybe he's not quite ready for the next step. But I think he's at the perfect level now in which they can continue to build on him and then maybe move him up the next level.
3: Yeah, him versus Hogan next month would feel a bit too soon. But yeah. I don't know that him yeah. versus Hogan in in six months' time could be all that out of place if you give him six months of, of the right kind of bill. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it was, you know, I suspect this would have been the best main event anyway, um, but I think once once, the, once Scott Hall was unavailable, I think they made the right choice. Anyway, yeah. to the main event, we get a big DDP chance out the gate, Saris goes, pays up the aisle way and they brawl by the guardrail we return to the ring for some kind of move Paige lifts Savage up and they sort of fall to the mat in a half DDT type thing Savage dumps Paige over the guardrail and they go through the fans towards the exit we get an actual garbage can as Paige hits Savage twice with it he then chokes Savage with the cable back at ringside Savage holds Kimberly hostage before throwing her into Dallas Savage comes off at the top and hits an axe handle onto Paige in the guardrail as Paige into the ring steps he uses the ropes for leverage on a pin but Paige kicks out Sarish jumps to the outside, scares Kimberly, then grabs the chair that Michael Buff was sat in. Page hits Sarish with a chair. Sarish starts attacking Page in the corner, but Page turns the tables, shakes the diamond cutter, but Savage levels him. Sarish catches Page going for a kick, but plays up his strong hand too long, and Page hits him with a clothesline. Sarish comes off to the top, but lands straight into a big boot from Page. Sarish then goes after referee Mark Curtis, and pile drives him. Saric goes to the top again, hits a lovely top rope elbow drop, obviously there's no ref. Saric signals to the back, here's Nick Patrick. He shakes hands with Saric and takes over refereeing duties. Out comes Nash from the R way to watch on. Saric picks up Paige but bungles whatever move he was trying. Paige hits the darn Cutter, struggles to cover and gets the three as Patrick counts the pin properly after the match outcome, the cavalry Patrick takes a big jackknife powerbomb Saris goes out to Kimberley but Bischoff talks him down Saris then shoves Bischoff and there's a big pull apart between the NWO Kieran I, I kind of thought this was a, a match where both guys worked really really hard but I think they felt just a little bit sure of the, the really great meta event they were trying to have
4: yeah the, um, I think I think the, the stick while it was maybe Needed for the for story wise, it didn't help the match. I think this would have be been much better served as a straight wrestling match. Um, again, you can't fault the effort, and some of the the spots are really good. Savage is trying with you know with the no, with the no DQ thing. He's trying a bit of the psychology, you know, trying to get you know the people on the outside of the ring involved, you know, grabbing the chairs, giving that guy the pile driver and whatnot. Um, and again, then they try and get Nick Patrick involved. Um, I'd actually preferred it if he hadn't accounted, but and we'd have got something from that. But uh, it was it was solid. It just wasn't. It just could have been a lot better. And I think that was mainly, in my, well, in my opinion, I think it was to do with the stipulation was quite limiting.
3: What the no DQ stipulation?
4: Yeah, I would. I, would have, I think I'd have preferred it as just being a straight match. I think it would have been a better a better match. But I understand why the stipulation was was there. Is what I'm trying to say.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was it, it explained away the first kind of half of the match, but you know, towards the end they kind of got back in, had a more normal match. I think the stipulation balance probably helped things out slightly, perhaps. Mm. Um, but yeah, like this was this was a good to very good match that never, I think, quite got to the level they wanted it to. Um, the feud's a bit fresh still. It was a a main event without massive consequences. You know, I mean, we talk about you know you want to talk about. Matches with future title shots on the line. Maybe this should have been the match with a future title shot on the line. Page should have won that. That would have been a match with bigger ramifications. he's you know, trying to defend Hogan, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, although, again, you know, maybe if you're going to try and build Page this big guy, maybe you don't want to get him in the, up against Hogan too soon.
4: That could be no, good. no, definitely. I, I, I think you, you need to... You need to basically... I, I would definitely extend this. extend this feud. Maybe have a um I, I I can't think who else you could have him go up against
3: what page or hogan page um well you could do page and nash i mean, yeah. that, that, if you're if you want to build pace to hogan what it says send him through savage national hall that'd be the that'd be the way to go um yeah, send him through send yeah.
4: him through the family hierarchy before he gets to the yeah
3: yeah, basically exactly that I mean, you know the, the, the Sarish thing might have to take, take a change of direction now that he might be out for a while injury wise yeah um, but yeah like there was they, they they tried a fair bit the crowd were involved it was a good match I'm not criticising yeah. it but no, I know I'm j- not criticising no. it yeah. I just got the feeling they were going for something a little bit better than what came off. And I don't know whether yeah. Paige isn't a great wrestler and neither is Randy Savage at his age either. I kind of wonder whether this was, you know, the this qualification match was perhaps a cover just to give them a few more options, which they use. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, like, you know, I don't think this is the end, even if the feud has to go on haze just while Savage fixes his ankle. Um, but I thought this was good. And then the, the post-match angle, Kieran, uh, again, we talk about a lot going on. There was a lot going on here.
4: Yeah. Again, no. Where's um as the match previous on the card? The uh, oh, what was the match? I can't 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 remember now. Which so one? What was the was? overbooked finish.
3: Oh, Benoit Malenko. Well, oh, Benoit
4: Could have been about three
3: or four of them, but no, yeah, that getting, that
4: that's why I was getting the one where the Jacqueline runs that that one. It wasn't quite as bad as that. I just leave it at the. Just leave it as the, you know, the finish of the match. Just leave it as that. You don't have to just keep overdoing it and overbooking everything. It really sort of it muddies the. for you've said it a couple of times. And I'm going to I'm going to nick it off. It is just don't throw like 10 billion ideas at them. Just have it. Just have the match sit as it is. I don't know. Have a bit of jaw jacking and a bit of bad mouthing between Page in the ring and Nash on the outside or whatever. But just leave it at that. That
3: You don't have to... I, I, didn't, I didn't mind this as much. Like, you know, I I, I wouldn't have done the DBRC stuff earlier, but I, I think there was a clear direction to get Patrick out of the NW. We're going to discuss that in a bit, where that went next. That was fine. Fair fucks to Patrick for taking a, you know, a, a relatively yeah. safe, but a, a pretty intense jackknife bump. And they wanted to play a bit of dissension between Savage and Bischoff. But... this comes back to the whole throwing too many messages at people was that they have the segment that we'll cover in a bit the following night on Nitro where you've got Nash and Hogan trying to patch up their differences and the segment at that point really should just end like that's it okay you patch yourself up you're fine and Hogan says right what about you two and it's like well so, so you had Savage and Bischoff on not on even keel for the sake of an angle that would, would close itself off the next night. Like if, you know, I suspect they're posting something down the road with that, but it's yeah. like we talk about throwing too many matches at people and people struggling to remember what's happening. By the end of the show, I kind of feel like I need to write down everything that happened to be able to it's, remember. Yeah. It, it should, uh, again, to go along with
4: not throwing the, the you know load of ideas at people, just, just have some clarity about what you're doing. And like you said, you don't have to then go back through the pay per view, or then you know when you don't have to be sort of thinking, well, what did happen at the pay per view? What what was that running? Oh, he was trying to get the turnbuckle. Uh, do you know what I mean? You don't have to, have to keep trying to replay the pay per view in your head as you're trying to watch what's coming up. Okay, thoughts on the show and a score out of ten. Oh, there was some good stuff in it. There was some good stuff in it stuff was awful the the, the four corners um, the some of the overbooked finishes um, the basically the cons outweighed the pros for this one and so I'm gonna say four, four out of ten
3: yeah I, I'm on a five um, I don't know I was quite as low on the show as you um, but I think it's a a, a case of there was nothing really horrendous on this show, but there were enough things that were poorly executed that it would be too to a detriment of the show and there wasn't really enough positive to to back it all up so yeah, there's. I, I think the opening match was really, really good um, and then I would say with everything else take it or leave it, the main event was, was noteworthy, but there's nothing must see on this show, as good as no. the opening match was, I don't think there's anything must see on this show, a 5 out of 10 for me we start with highlights of last night's Macho and Kimberly closer. Tony and Larry focus on the NWO's turmoil starting with Nash's address last week and building with last night's pull apart. They then show us stills from the main event. Conan and Hugh Morris take on Alex Wright and Psychosis. Morris getting them we- hitting his moonsault on Wright to get the win. Regal and Mysterio go at it in the hunt for IOK as TV title. We see the arrival of Hollywood, Bischoff, D.V.R.C. and Vincent. Back in the ring Regal lays in a stretch Mysterio Jr gets the DQ in as he holds the ropes, and Regal doesn't break. Iok arrives to help, but also gets stretched while the ref breaks it up. Another limo arrives, this time Nash, Six, Bagwell, Macho and Liz. They seem to have got custody of Wall Street and the NWO's sting and trial separation. Taylong Long brings out Ice Train to face Benoit. We cut to two sides of the NWO arguing backstage. 12-3 all, all over again with a split screen. In the ring, Benoit sits in an almost unlike DDT for the win. We see highlights from last Monday's double team premiere with Hogan Van Damme and a resplendent Rodman who seems to think the WWF deal went through as he looks like Goldust's sister. Sullivan with Jackie then make quick work of Hector Guerrero. We are now at number one with the NWO coming to the ring in two groups and Ted DiBiase playing mediator. Hogan tells Nash if he's got a problem, let him know, but where's Scott Hall? Nash backs up his buddy, but Hogan seems fixed on a fight. They settle their differences, but Macho looks unconvinced. He says Bischoff's not only on probation with Turner, but with him as well. Our number two starts with the sequel to last week's bizarre Flare and Piper promo. Flair says he's cleared Piper plays the air banjo. We then get Kevin Green from the Carolina Panthers back again as all three spar off, just as bizarre as normal. Malenko beats Jericho quickly with a big kick to the face and an already down Jericho. Another quick match is High Voltage get an upset win over Public Enemy after Johnny misses an elbow from the top to the outside. The enemy actually gets some brief time with Gene after the bell and they challenge High Voltage to a street fight next week in Philadelphia. The Michael Jarrett story grumbles on as they face Harlem Heat with Booker pinning Double J as the late arriving Mongo looks on. Post match Jarrett airs his grievances, Mongo says he should be afraid. A strapped up Prince IUK defends the against the Ultimate Dragon in our semi main, but after some heavy kicks to his strapped ribs, Dragon wins and is your new WCW Television Champion. Main event time, Giant and Scott Steiner come out to face off, but Dungeon attack them both before the match starts. We get Dallas Page out to talk about his upset last night. He calls himself an anomaly. Something that wasn't supposed to happen. Darwin nails it. He calls out the hobbling macho man. But Hogan blocks him in the aisle. And Sting repels him from the rafters. And they back off. Page and Sting stand tall to close. It's no big secret. There's a couple problems
0: in the NWO. But tonight... We take care of all the family business, because without the whole family and you, big man, this don't mean crap. The bottom line is this. The word's out that you got a problem with me being in Chicago last week at Rodman's grand opening for his new movie. If you got a problem with me bringing in top athletes that can watch our back and make our family stronger, you need to let me know right now, my friend. And you and I need to air our shorts out right here in public. I'm waiting. I got no problem with Dennis Rodman. I used to play ball, I appreciate him as an athlete, and I welcome him to the NWO. But I sat in the hotel room on Easter Sunday with my buddy Six, and I'm sorry if I was a little grouchy last week. Well, I'll tell you what, my man. Next Easter, I make sure that you get to go on the N.W.O. Easter hunt, okay? I'm not talking to you. If you don't have a problem with Dennis Rodman, that's half of the equation solved. Now what I want to hear from you is when Where and why is your partner on the outside and not on the inside with us? Where's he at? What's he doing? And is he still in this thing with us? I've known Scott Hall for seven years, and I can tell you this, Hollywood, Scott Hall is
5: NWO for life.
0: Well, the deal goes down like this, my friend. If the rules haven't changed, the family's still a family. And by looking in your eyes right now, I can see you're burning a hole through me, my friend. So that means one of two things. Either you and your partner and your new compadres here are in this thing for life. Just like you taught me, or those X-rays, brother, that you're laying on me right now, means you and I need to do the thing right now. Oh-ho. We can have something here. Look at Macho, he's trying to hop into something. Oh my goodness! Oh, my goodness. Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan. And the macho man in the right there. I don't have to love you to respect you. Where I come from in Detroit, Michigan, you're only as big a man as your word. When you walked out in Daytona Beach and joined me and Scott... And we sat in the back and we said, yeah, you're the man, let's do that. I gave you my word then, I'll give it to you now. We're not going around these arenas saying we're NWO for life as some kind of catchphrase. Because when you are NWO, it is
3: for life. So, we come out of the pay-per-view. and we've got four weeks of TV to, to, to pick through, and there's a lot of noteworthy promos. So I think what we're going to do is we'll, we'll pick through all of the, the noteworthy segments. Yeah, some yeah. of them are directly related to the, the big story that we'll talk about at the end. Some aren't. And then I think at the end we'll, we've got a pre tape that we'll, we'll introduce that will patch in most of the stuff that we'll have already heard, but in a full kind of pre tape reader context, just so you can be filled in on the story and then we'll discuss it. So we start on the 7th of April. Hogan is back. He's, Hogan's, Hogan's been off shooting a movie, which is why he's been in and out of TV this month. Hogan's back around, and he comes out to the, to the ring, flat by the NWO. Basically, he's Nash the floor. And they basically just aired their dirty laundry. You know, Hogan says, if you've got a problem with me bringing in an athlete like Dennis Rodman, and saying now. And Nash has his bit. Um, and in the end, Kieran, we get that, and we get Savage and Bishop patching the differences up. You know, they tried really, really hard with these angles, but you kind of get the feeling, oh, well, if it was just for the sake of that, I don't know that it needs to be anywhere near as intricate. I don't know if I they need to say it. Savage and Bischoff having this one-day feud, if Savage and Bischoff are just going to patch up. I suspect they will end up bringing that back round, but I don't know whether I would have done that here, given everything else going on. No, it
4: seemed that the the, the guys in the ring doing the work, Perceived the problems to be way more bigger than they actually were like Nash's so nasa's got his nose put out a joint because Ogan's off with celebrities and that and then savage looked really really pissed off with bischoff like all basically they you know dbos had said we all need to come together Nash and Hogan do their thing. They sort of come to a, a, an agreement, you know. Nash says, I respect, you know, I don't have to love someone to respect them or like someone or whatever. So they do that. And then, but Savage, beyond all that, he's come round the back of them and you can see him, he's really agitating. You're thinking, well, he's still pissed off. There must be something really, Savage's got to get something really big off his chest and then they just go, oh, we'll just uh patch ourselves out then, Eric. And yeah, I that was it. Then I, it just seemed to be way bigger than it actually was.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, as I say, I, I suspect there's there's more of this coming. So I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to imply that it's fully a case of that the whole storyline's been wrapped up. But some of it was a case of let's create an angle that we can largely reverse, you know, on the April April seventh Nitro. So there was a bit of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a it was a good segment. I mean, it's. It's nice to see them framing Nash, whether by design or just by circumstance, as the kind of alternative leader. And I suspect Nash versus Hogan at some point is going to do pretty big money. I, uh, I mean, I, I, I,
4: I, I will say, as a, as, a, as a purely as a fan, it's just that no matter what the actual issue was, that did feel like big to me, Bob, because of those two personalities. That actually did feel like really good, like it could actually go somewhere.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on that anytime oh, soon. No. Yeah, it sounds like they're they're saving Hogan and Sting for December, which seems like a way off. Um, I, I suspect they might end up bringing that forward, but I, I wouldn't do Hogan and Nash before that time. When
4: when would you? How, how 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 do you see it playing out then? Because I've got my own my own well, thoughts. I actually think sort of Page is going to sort of come in between. I actually think that Page is going to come in between them. He may be. Square off against Nash. Um, It'd be interesting what they do with Page, though. If the ultimate goal you think might be Nash and Hogan, it'd be interesting where Page sits in all of that.
3: Well, I I think they're overplaying their hand, saving Hogan and Sting for December. Like, I think that's... uh... I think that's a big ask, and my hunch would be bring that forward, maybe to, yeah, maybe to to Halloween Havoc, maybe that kind of time, maybe a little bit before Full Brawl and full Brawl. maybe is, yeah, maybe yeah. Pash,
4: Page and Nash at um, Bash at the Beach or
3: something. Yeah, maybe. could do that, could do that. I mean, I know they've got a, a big thing involving Dennis Ropman but I don't think either of those guys are going to be involved in that, so that might work out. But yeah, my inclination would be do Steen. August is a bit early, particularly if they do Hog yeah. again. They want to do it there. But October, if you've got Halloween Havoc in the right kind of situation, that to me would make sense. I mean, if, if the match is big enough, they could rematch Sting and Hogan in December. But my inclination would be that once you're through that, maybe you put the title on Sting and then maybe you can have the breakup of the NWO and that's where you did Nash versus Hogan. That would make most sense to me um yeah maybe it could yeah if i'm, if I'm saying sting and hogan in, in october then you know that's not really much different december i suppose you could just get it all the way you can get it that far um you know but equally i, I get the sense that they said hogan and Sting's going to be in july and i, I believe july is going to be the dennis rodman match unless that's June. Right. but you could you, you could say hogan and sting in june and i don't think that would be too early I say that, but I yeah. think they're going to hope that they've got enough legs to get this programme through until the winter. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I wouldn't do Hogan and Nash any time soon. Like, no, I no. think they've got to... They've got, they've, they've, got got more,
4: they've got more than enough guys, more than enough story. If, like I said, if they they, they they don't keep throwing a million ideas at people, they get some clarity going. Just knuckle down and get these stories told. And they've got easily enough to last in the rest of the year.
3: Easily enough. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the, other, the other thing with, with Nash and Hogan is you, you can only do that turn once. So <laughs> it kind of, you know, I, I, if I were them, I'd much rather be a little bit late on it than way too early. Um, and as you say, they've got more than enough shit going on right now. Not to be yeah. worried. Oh. We see the Nash-Hogan square off from last week. Pages, promo and stings arrival all with the split The flaming graphic. The NWO then crash the comms desk. Nash declares Philly NWO country and tells Luger if he wants Hogan, he'll have to go through him first. First up, Barbarian takes on Benoit, which dissolves into a dungeon beatdown on the crippler before Michael and Jarrett make the save. Gene talks to Benoit, who says this can only end when either he or Sullivan get destroyed. Hector's back but loses to Malenko in a Texas cloverleaf. Malenko clearly on side with Philly before Eddie arrives and they have a stare down. We see Packers number 92 Reggie White at ringside. Tony tells he signed a contract to face Mongo for at some time. Put me down for a comp Tony. Mysterio bits Hoobie with a beautifully smooth springboard. Hurricane Rana we hear from Luna Vachon for the first time. Dragon makes his first defence of the TV title against Light Lane Carson. Carlson. No, me neither. IK has bounced back to get a Cruiserweight title shot against Six. They match evenly but Six wins with a chicken wing that they are calling the Buzzkiller. We close hour number one with Nate along with Kevin Green. Green takes joy in pretending it's his ovation and out comes Hot Rod. We bleed to hour number two and Piper asks why the big bold guy never shows up when he's here. He then starts singing right said Fred to the NWO. By Piper's standards it's pretty coherent. Green moans about the NFL's rookies and bigs up Flair and Piper. Flair drags it back up, dropping Verne Gagne, Dick the Bruiser and Angelo Poffo. The enemy get an outstanding reaction for their own coming and we get the high voltage street fight. Standard trash can steel chair affair, noticeable ECW chants throughout. There's a nice toilet lid spot and we get the useful split screen. Chaos hits an awful power bomb. the enemy reverse Voltage's doomsday device. Tables get laid and we get a huge two ply drive by for the win. Well done, <laughs> Rapid squash from the giant on quote, Big Al, aka ECW's 911. Dallas Page then beats Conan nearly as quickly with a diamond cutter. Sarris calls out Page from the stands and Diamond chases after him. Harlem Heat and the horsemen go at it again, but Sherry and Deborah fight over the briefcase before the match gets thrown out. Okay, in for WCW, a bit of a cluster finish for Jarrett confronts Michael and White for slambery. For Reggie runs in, tackles Mongo. Mongo spits at him. That happened before, and they get into a pull apart. In the main event, Luger and Nash. Surprisingly, we end with the schmoz, Page arrives. We get a beatdown. Giant stalks. Sting comes down the art. We go off the air as all three batter Isn't
1: it funny? Isn't it
0: funny that every time I'm here, the big bald guy happens to stay at home? Huh?
2: Well, I don't think that's a coincidence.
0: And all as I see is instead of the big bald guy, I see all these NWO gorillas. asking Congo.
2: You don't have anything against bald guys, do you?
0: No, most guys are nice at their fault. But these guys, at least in Congo, the gorillas pick the lice off each other. These particular people, they haven't got the brains of a tixi fly between the whole backs of them. The NWO, which I'm up to here with, and I'm telling them all to come on. Come on down the shore at the next pay-per-view. We'll take on the whole batch of you. They come out. They're in spandex, right? they got Eric Bischoff. With Rodman t-shirt on, going, I'm too sexy for Dennis Rodman, too sexy for Pee-wee Herman. While the rest of the NWO are in spandex, just jumping out of the closet. Oh, my (laughs) God. Heck, I'm going to go back in the closet and see what's so afraid in there, man. They call him the Godfather. Old baldy. I'll tell you what. If I'm in bed and there's a dead horse's head in it, I have a barbecue. Hang on. Hang on. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something, NWO, you big tough guys. As you're riding your skateboards you're trying to be so cool on the asphalt. There's a couple of guys, one from the East Coast, one from the West Coast, who was down when there were 300 people in the garage. Fighting each other, taking action, beating down, trees, asphalt, beating down trees, pouring that asphalt, beating down trees, pouring that asphalt, beating down trees, starting Starcade, starting WrestleMania, starting Papers Pit. <laughs> And it wasn't for us paving this smooth road. You might not be so damn cool. I'll tell you something else, NWO. We got a guy that runs through seven 320-pound guys every day of his life to get the ball and save the day. And his name is Kevin Green. Kevin Green. Me, I'll keep this short. Hogan, I did what you said. I worked out. I took my vitamins, and I said my prayers, and it worked. It worked. And you stabbed everybody in the back. You stabbed all the little hoaxers in the back, and you stabbed me in the back. And then what do you do, Hogan? You surround yourself with a bunch of idiots they call NWO. These idiots are nothing but a bunch of rookies. Just like the rookies that are coming in the NFL now. They get that big money. They get that sign bonus, all that money in the bank. And, and they don't stay late. They don't come early. They don't work out hard. They don't watch any extra game film. And they're non-productive. And they're out of the league. But I want you to know something. Flair and Piper made wrestling. They indeed did. Flair and Icon were chopping tons and tons of wood and laying asphalt from now till kingdom come while you guys were still sucking mother's milk. And that's why I'm here. It's called respect. Respect.
2: We know about respect, Ric Flair. Me,
0: Gene. Being the elder statesman, I would like to be historical for a moment. In 1973, after quitting a wrestling camp twice because it was too tough, I looked Verne Gagne in the eye. I said, thank you for allowing me to get in the greatest sport in the world. In 1983, I walked into St. Louis Arena, sold out at the age of 35 to wrestle a 56 year old man named Dick the Bruiser. And you know what I said? I said, Thank you, God, I have made it to the big time. Now, One step further in 1993, after being written off, I walked into the Hoosier Dome versus Macho Man Randy Savage. And Macho Angelo Papo would not like where you're at now. The end of this historic lesson is that 73 to 83 to 93
1: to 2003. If I win the hard ride, if I win Kevin Green, we will rock.
3: So on to April 14th. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll patch in some of this, th- this story detail later. Um, but essentially, as we can't allude to on the paper, they, they've got a match to match this set up for Slamboree next month. So out comes Ric Flair, Roddy Piper and Kevin Green. Um, And basically, the idea was them just to do a a, a three or four-minute promo, previewing the match next month. But it kind of went a bit awry. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) stories backstage said that there were people... Banging their heads, trying to work out why, how to stop the segment, and also what the hell they were saying. And Roddy Piper made no sense. Roddy Piper never makes any sense, so that's fine. And then you've got Kevin Green sort of bizarrely The story they're trying to tell is that it's the old guys versus the new generation, which, funny enough, sounds very similar to something that WWF were trying to tell about three years ago. Funny yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and God knows Kevin Nash at 38 is hardly a new generation, but still. You, they they were kind of trying to tell it before they told it, and so Piper comes out and says some stuff about laying asphalt and all that kind of thing. Oh, basically, god! Basically, the idea being that Piper and Nash paved the way for the new generation the generation of guys coming up now so they hand the mic the, you know Gene goes to Kevin Green and Kevin Green crowbars in a reference about NFL rookies having no respect and all of that and then we go to Ric Flair Rick Flair gives this history lesson how he <laughs> got put over by Dick the Bruiser 25 years ago and all that kind of shit and all that thing you know Flair just gets fired up and he starts running around and the segment comes to a close I suspect people breathe a bit of a sigh of relief but Kieran like you know, like with, you know what am I supposed to take from well, this? Said, like, the... <laughs> because the, the promo wasn't for us, right? The promo was for Kevin Sullivan and predominantly for Kevin Nash and the guys backstage. That was who the promo was aimed at. And it was like, fuck, the audience, come along for the ride. If you get it, great. If you don't, don't. That was the big takeaway. I, get... I just,
4: I was just, I, I'll say the first thing, but I, was, I was pissing myself at Piper because I, I mean, he doesn't make sense at the best of times. But this was just, this was legendary. Going about bloody roads. The worst bit is, is we'll talk about it in a minute. Nash bloody carries it on. He starts going about bloody paving roads and all like the bloody tinkers with tarmac. What? I I just lit. And then Flair's going about 1973, Vern Garnier. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man. Just, just, just give us some build to a match. Just, just tell us what the next match is. Where's the next match? What event's it going to be at? Let Mean Gene hold the thing to get. Ah, oh, it was just and that Kevin Green guy. Oh, yeah.
3: Ke- Ke- to be fair, Kevin Green is quite a good promo, pro, right? There is a He was player. the best. He was the.
4: He was the best out of the three.
3: He was the most coherent. <laughs> um, he let's... was the least. He was the least high of the three. <laughs> yes, allegedly. yes,
4: allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Maybe yeah. it's that, that one beer policy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Piper's had Piper's had more than one mate, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, it just it just it was just ram. It's just like just give me. I don't care about all your petty bollocks. I really don't. It's interesting to to a degree, but then when it it literally is going nowhere, and you're not giving me any notion of what a match or event or whatever's going to be, then just I just no interest.
3: It's a good job Piper's over. I'll say that.
4: Like really, he's way over.
3: And then, the conclusion of the show, or almost the conclusion of the show, there's an angle after it, uh, was Steve Michael and Reggie White. Uh, and we talk about WCW's priorities right now and, uh, and how they're trying to bridge a gap without Hogan and all that kind of thing. We're looking at a show next month with three former or current NFL players on it, which seems a bit excessive. And One of them's Mongo, which is slightly different. Um... But can you always think about this? I mean, they had... I think it was in Philadelphia, which as far as I'm aware is is Reggie White territory. Yes, it um, is, yeah. And, uh... And Mongo kind of pointed him out and, and, you know, and he basically said there's going to be a match in, in sort of enough words. Um... And then the segments got really quite good when White yeah. stepped into the ring, squared off, Mongo spat at him, which seems, you know, we, you know, that seemed a bit excessive.
4: Loved it. But, well, well, no, but I'll just say if it was, oh. if it was, um...
3: uh, and then, and then we get a, you know, and then Reggie White takes him down, and we get a pull apart. Yeah, you know, again, a, another one in the box of wasn't explicitly very well explained, but enough going on where I think it just about works.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, in, in Reggie White, we'll be talking about one of the most just to give a bit of background, he's he's one of the most decorated players the NFL has ever seen. So you're talking like he's like a two-time defensive player there, 13-time Pro Bowl, a 13-time All-Pro. He's only he's he's set he was at that point, or I think still is, is is like second-place all-time sack leader as well. You're talking one of the best defensive players the NFL has ever seen. And when I saw when I actually saw him. Um, by the side of the ring, I thought, if he gets in the ring, it could really go off because he 's built like an absolute brick shit house obviously um, and i actually I love this segment because I like Reggie White as a player and a man, and th- this 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 could have this could have real legs this could I, I really like this segment.
3: Yeah, I did too. Um, you know, as long as I follow a huge amount of NFL, it, it, it flew over my head a little bit. Kieran, I know you're you're a bit of a bigger fan, but yeah. you know we, we we talk about stuff going on a show where things don't make sense with the NWO. At least in this case, you don't have to understand mechanics. Mongo can call out, can kind of bungles call out a white a little bit, um, but you don't need to. You know, a lot of the guys watching do know who these two guys are. And you know Reggie White steps in the ring. It's like Mongo's a bit removed from, from his time in the NFL, but White isn't. Um,
5: no, no.
3: And so that's the that's a big match, and that felt like a big deal. And this is the kind of thing with Mongo. Mongo at times is completely irrelevant. And yet, you know, we had that that match a few months ago where they were in uh, Chicago, um, and Mongo was just you know over like gangbusters for a while. <laughs> um, and this was kind of similar. People care about Reggie. That's the thing. It's investment. People invest in Reggie White. Exactly, it doesn't have, to, exactly. doesn't have to matter beyond that. It can be as confident as you like beyond that. If they care about the guys involved, it I mean, just, you, can't, and you,
4: can't, you can't pick many better guys at, at this point in time. In like the the you know in the late nineties, you can't pick many better better people than a player like Reggie White. Kev, Kevin Green is he was he was. Um, I think he was like, he was, I mean, even he is like third in all-time sacks. So you've got two massive guys, but personality-wise and stature-wise, you don't get much bigger than Reggie White in the NFL at that at that point in time. Is and it a
3: bit, we in a bit of a danger, this be a bit of a circus show, though, with, definitely. you know, like, like NFL players? Like, it's... That's the juxtaposition. Yep. Yeah. No, go on. Yeah, that's it, that, that's it, the juxtaposition. It matters, okay. but... It's like, well, if I'm, you know, maybe Dallas Page is a bad example, but it's like these guys are costing you quite a lot. They aren't going to be that good. And they ain't going to be around for very long. Mm-hmm. It's like, why not? For, you know, I, I can understand to a point, but I, I you know, it, it kind of feels like if you're going to if you're going to justify, say, to a board about paying Kevin Green a lot of money to come in, I, I don't know how much extra value there is in getting in Reggie White. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know that Reggie White is proportionally worth as much as Green was just because the difference between having one NFL player and having two, or in this case two and three, isn't as high anymore. No. I think you just have to...
4: I, I, this, like I said, this is the juxtaposition. I don't understand having them all around at the same time. And that's that's... To be honest, that's the flip side of it. It's well, over... I think I think they're available.
3: I think it's part of the point. Also but why but why
4: have? But why have? It just. I don't. I don't know. It just. When you think about the cold light of day, it's like well, you've got an NF player involved in this match because he's from the same. He played, you know, for the panth. You know, Green played for the Panthers, Carolina. That's where,
3: you know, Rick Flair's from. Um, I never not mind the fact <laughs> the whole thing with Kevin Greenback makes no fucking sense. Like, Kevin Green yeah. wrestled the main event of the Great American Bash for the semi-main of the, uh, of the Great American Bash last year and Mongo turned on him to align with Ric Flair and now Kevin Green is all lovey-dovey with Ric Flair. With like, Ric Flair. Fuck yeah. it, we'll forget it and because our audience doesn't really care enough right now and also because OCW business is so good that kind of your plot holes like that don't really seem to matter. There seems to be, you know, their, their ticket sales are great. but like, That's the thing. Like The the product isn't actually that strong right now. Because of what happened a year ago, everything's still massively over. Yeah, so, they're, so, they're still,
4: so they figure, so basically they're still they're sort of living off what was happening last year in terms of product wise. But now because the ratings at this point in time this year are still so good, they're basically not, well, not to say they're throwing shit at the wall because we don't know how it's played out yet, but it appears that they're sort of.
3: But Paul Booking, they're not being held accountable by Paul Booking because Paul Booking is being protected by the fact business is so strong. I think that's yeah. the point. Yeah. And we're yeah. talking about these two guys being involved and then Dennis Rodman's going to come in in June. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like, I, I get it, right? You've got these big, relevant stars. you are got to make those big, relevant place to be. But it's like, well, you know, but Mongo's a a wrestler. I'm leaving Mongo out of this to a point, as much as he's a former NFL player than the other two are. Mongo's full-time. But you've got these guys come in, and then they go away, and it's like, well, I know Paige in the main event is flatter than Dennis Rom will be as a one-off show. But it's like, well, if you gave Paige those two, if if Paige was teaming alongside Flair and Piper against the NWO, and then... Oh, money, yeah. And then Paige yeah. was in... Well, that's, the, that's kind of the point. It's not as much money as, as, as Green is. And it's not as much money in the sense of ticket sales. And it isn't as much money, probably, in the sense of pay per view buyers. But it's like, if you put Paige in that spot for a few months, you've got a full-time main event coming out the other side. That's the damage they're doing right now, I think. Well, one of my questions
4: then, Bob, is that um, after loving the Reggie White thing, I actually thought to myself, well, has there actually... Is there actually justification for bringing Ian's guys? Do they actually bring more eyes what? to the product? Or uh, the ratings go up that much?
3: I mean, or almost undoubtedly, they... really. I mean, you know, Kevin Green was brought in to help sell a show in Carolinas. Um, and that'll be a, a great reaction to that. I suspect Reggie White was more, well, fuck it, he's available, he's interested, let's do it. I mean, remember to a point, if you're, you know, like Kevin Green, this will be his second match. Um, you know, to a point with with Reggie White, you kind of start that relationship and then you can go away and then you can maybe bring him back again in a year's time, that kind of thing. So there is that. There's also a little bit of point of trying to stop WWF getting at these guys. Um, I don't know if they were interested in green or white, but they certainly had a go at signing Dennis Rodman. And so some of it is a little bit on that in terms of they're saying, um, you know, we'd rather have we we'd rather have Rodman on our side rather than we'd, let WF. Yeah,
4: have we'd you. we'd we'd waste quote unquote our money and have him here doing whatever than let him go to Stan you know, let him go up to Stanford and you know have do him do his business up there.
3: Doing business yeah. up there. Yeah. Well, so, although more the because I would love to see what they apply with him and gold dust, but uh but there we go. Yeah. We open on April 21st with a black limo, but it's not the NWO, it's JJ Dillon, who's expected to become an on screen spokesman for WCW. We get lengthy opener with Di Malenko defending his cruiserweight title against Yuji Nagata with the cloverleaf to a good reaction. Next, Glacier plays to his strengths where his entrance lasts longer than his match against Sleeker Play. Very loud Glacier sucks chance here. Post-match, last month's Misty Man arrives and Mortis blindsides Glacia with a Glacier with a chronic kick. Both work over Glacier to the delight of Vanderberg and the former Adam Bomb nails a modified slope chokeslam. Somewhere, Dell is in tears. Sure he is. J.J. is announced as chairman of the WCW committee. Tony and Larry speculate on what that means for Bischoff and the NWO as we see it closed from last week. Nick Patrick arrives to lobby for reinstatement and delivers the peach of a promo. Ultima Dragon defeats beautiful Bobby with the dragon sleeper and Lord Stephen Regal arrives and tells us spending that night with Fergie was like a ripped out fireplace. He challenges Dragon for his TV title. Meng makes quick work of Jericho, Gene talks to Jimmy Hart and Meng faces Benoit at Slamboree. Sullivan arrives with a popping out Miss Jackie and builds Meng to Benoit. There's a quick highlight reel of Benoit but we close the hour with the Steiners and the enemy in yes, and no contest. We kick off hour number 2 with the arrival of JJ Dillon with Mean Gene. Tony interjects to ask him about Nick Patrick, that's under advisement, but as for Bischoff he has no authority whatsoever. However, he is still under contract and will remain. A shit-eating, grin-carrying Bischoff arrives to gloat at the silence of JJ. Dylan then says that while Bischoff raised the standards two years ago, the standards were set in Stanford, Connecticut, and he's now here to bring some authority. Scotty Riggs continues his DOA run, this week falling to the figure four of Jeff Jarrett. Six then beats Mysterio Jr. with the help of Jack Nye from Nash. Afterwards, JJ arrives to lay down the law on Nash and Six as security usher them away. We get another highlight package, this time on Luger. The NWO then run another paid-for promo, this time with take on Gilligan's Island with Grace Jones and Robert Vaughn. Yes, that actually happened. Both in NWO shirts, it really is a bizarre visual. The NWO arrive with Six, cutting a promo on Flair for stealing Buddy Rogers' gimmick. Nash starts on Piper, telling him it's the quote New generation's time to shine Alright, big daddy cool DDP beats Psychosis quick with the cutter Sarage again calling him out from the stands Piper, Flair and Green cut a promo after we go off the air Flair asks asks out the NWO They all drop an air elbow and the order arrive Welcome back of big Scott. With one
0: Hollywood Hulk Hogan And as we look at this footage from last week we we have some, what Nick Patrick is doing right? here. What in the world do
8: you want? Well, you guys have heard that I petitioned for reinstatement and if you don't mind, I'd like to take a moment to just clear up a couple of points and if you have any questions for me afterwards. But more this isn't than a Junior High Quiz before. Nick. Well, I, 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 first off, let him, let I'd like stay. to apologize to all the WCW employees that may have been affected by my actions recently. But there are a few people that I will not apologize to now, nor will I ever apologize to those people. When I first joined the NWO, I thought it was going to be an opportunity for the little man to speak out, people that's never had a voice, to be able to speak up for themselves, people that's been ground under by the system, been able to land on their feet to be able to make a statement. But now it seems to me that the very people that I wanted to make a statement against are the people that the NWO are catering to. People like Macho Man Randy Savage, Now I told you people what he was about when he first came here to WCW, and he's proven me correct in the last few weeks. People like Eric Bischoff, who are so obsessed with power and letting somebody know, oh, I'm the boss, I've got power, forcing people into doing his will, forcing people like Randy Anderson to come up and have to fight me. I didn't want to fight Randy Anderson. I also find Macho Man Randy Savage, the largest fine in professional wrestling history. But I was told to keep my mouth shut as that fine was revoked. If you want somebody that's gonna stand up for WCW, take a look at what I've done. When people walked out, I stayed. I was injured by Randy Savage. I still worked. When the Giant was in WO, I was choke slammed. I was pressed and thrown out to the floor and I've been jackknifed by Kevin Nash. Bottom line is, I'm still here. You need an official that will stand up for what he believes in, and I'm that man. If WCW gives me the opportunity, I will serve them with pride.
0: You mean you stabbed us in the back, and now you want to come back to WCW, and you're begging you like this? we are got supposed, to take a commercial we're supposed
3: break. To we're right now. April 21st. Quite um, we have a few seconds to to to, to, dissect, to pick apart. We'll start with Nick Patrick. Those who are to WCW shows at the back end of last year will know that I was quite a big fan of Nick Patrick's heel, actually. It's kind of, since January, since the NWO thing, it's kind of been defocused. Um, But now, for whatever reason, they decide to have a bit of a, well, spring stampede, a bit of a spring clean of the NWO, in that Big bubba has been booted out, BK Wall Street's been booted out, the announcement of J.J. Dillon, nothing else. And Nick Patrick has left the group. And Kira, like, it doesn't really make sense. Like Nick Patrick's a dick for a better part of a year, and, then, and now, <laughs> now he comes back and he wants—he's he's asking for contrition and forgiveness. Patrick's so fucking good on the mic. I kind of want to run. He's been uh, wasted a bit as the referee. He, he's so wait. He could. Ah, oh, I would so
4: have him as like a. have uh, been um, so being one of the spokesmen for the N.W. He's so like. Well, no, he could
3: be a heel manager outside the N.W.I.
4: Yeah, I don't think he But it's the way he actually he addresses he addresses the camera. Um, he's got a lot of courage, uh, a lot of conviction in what he's saying, and he gets over what he's saying in a very like concise and straight manner. I oh, was very, very, very impressed. Very impressed. Yeah,
3: um... and I really enjoy.
4: It. I, lo- I love the fact that. Um, oh, who was the commentator that was addressing him? Sabisco? Sabisco. And I love that little interplay as well because I was expecting Pat out and go a bit sort of, do you know what I mean? Just just basically flip out. And he he didn't. He was was just saying, no, look, Larry, this this is what I'm saying. And it was like Sabisco's trying to get a rise out of him and he he didn't bite. And I I was quite impressed with that. It was like he seemed really genuine, didn't he?
3: yeah I, I like how you know we talk about it not making sense I, I did like the bit where he said I tried to find Randy Savage half a million dollars and then you guys said now now, now look what Randy Savage is like yeah. So, oh yeah brilliant yeah that's a, that's a nice Henge. little loose yeah. I, I, I'm not going to give him credit for telling that story <laughs> six months ago but I'm going to give him credit for tying it up a bit later yeah, on yeah. Um, yeah. but you know he talks about WCW needing him I you know his promo work's been consistently excellent. He's been one of the stronger promo guys they've got. Yeah. I don't know who the act would be to pair him with, but I kind of like the idea of, of, a, of a referee becoming a manager at ringside because then you can you can play off Patrick knowing all the tricks of the trade being a former ref to help an act. Now, I don't know who that act could necessarily be. Um, you know, it might be interesting, say, for... A, um, would it work for him? Um, maybe, maybe a theme malenko type hacker you were going to turn malenko yeah. into a into a heel not that malenko necessarily needs it but there, there, there's guys that could benefit from having that kind of guy beside them um yeah i i, I think he was really, really good in the second yeah. right let's move on to the next one gene as soon as the meeting ended this morning
0: and i was aware of what my responsibilities were the first thing was to get a group of lawyers and look really in-depth at the contract of Eric Bischoff, and I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that Eric Bischoff has absolutely no authority.
2: That is good news, J.J. Dillon, this crowd responding.
0: And I think that Dr. Schiller made it crystal clear when he came out here and made the announcement of the suspension that Eric Bischoff has no financial responsibility, no contractual authority, with World Championship Wrestling. And even though he's been uh, very visible the last couple of weeks, he still has no authority.
2: All right. That's uh, part of the news. What's, what's the th- good news. Yeah, what's part two, the bad news?
0: The bad news is Eric Bischoff has an ironclad contract. Mm. Um, like most contracts, there is a buyout clause. In his case, it's not there. So Eric Bischoff, unless he breaches his contract, uh, it is a valid contract. And what that means is that Eric Bischoff will retain his title as executive vice president, he will continue to get a paycheck, and he can go and come at events as he sees fit, but he still has no authority. Right behind now we've looked further into the NWO, and some of the contracts <laughs> that, he, uh, that he finalized before the suspension are all valid, so the NWO by and large is here to stay. With two exceptions. Two exceptions. Um, Bagwell and Norton. They had a window of opportunity. They elected to go NWO, that's fine. But there were two exceptions, and that's Big Bubba. And I'm talking about Michael Wall Street. Okay, Bubba. He is injured, but the window of opportunity didn't exist. Their NWO contracts are not valid. They are still under contract To the WCW. Bite me.
2: Fight me? What What kind of a way, Bischoff, is that to talk to the new chairman of the executive committee? You know what? You heard him say it. Speak English. Speed it
0: up here. These people want to get back to action. The fact is, you wanted to fire me,
2: but you can't. I think Dr. Harvey Schiller had even taken a close look at that.
0: If you have something to say, say it. Bottom line is, you can't stop me from doing anything I want to do with the NWO. You know it. Everybody at Turner knows it. And everybody here knows it. And they love me for it, don't you? Thank you very much. But let me ask you a question, Marshall Dillon. And by the way, where's the badge?
2: I think you're out of line there.
0: I made WCW... The number one wrestling company on the planet. Yes or no? Yes. And now that I want to make the NWO bigger than the WCW, you and the rest of your corporate monks got a problem with it. Yes or no? Yes, you are a problem. Bite me.
2: Uh, that's a- yeah. that's a- Somebody has got to grab this thing.
0: Do you really think for a second, I don't know what kind of mushrooms you have on your pizza, good friend, but do you think for a second that you can fill my shoes? Hold it right there. To start with, I'll be the first one to acknowledge that you are the most powerful and influential person in the world of professional wrestling, and you have been for the last two years. It's... It's mind-boggling what you've been able to accomplish. And I know firsthand because the standard of excellence two years ago wasn't set here. It was set up in New York. Stanford, Connecticut, to be specific. But what you have forgotten is that you didn't do it alone. That you had the support and you had the trust of people like Ted Turner, like Harvey Schiller, Hollywood Hogan, Paul and Nash. You had a trust... And you portrayed
3: it. And that is not acceptable. Bite me. So Joe Dylan comes out and, and he basically confirms that the good news is Eric Bischoff's got no power, the bad news is that his contract's pretty otherwise water. Um, and then the segment kind of doesn't really go anywhere for a while. And then Bischoff comes out and he says, Bite me, and that goes a bit cut and a uh, 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 Bischoff basically picking off Picking off spots and basically, you know, say, waiting for his turn and letting Dylan say his piece. And Dylan says that Bubba and Wall Street have been kicked out and he says not for the last time this month, that the standards a couple of years ago was. set. God, WF got a lot of fucking praise in this in the last, in, the, in, in, yeah. in this month.
4: They got a load of references, let alone what they were talking about. Every, everyone seemed to mention them. Every promo it was like, well, yeah, they, you know.
3: For a period of time that WF wasn't even that good. You know, a couple of years ago, WWF set the standard. Nash talks about him and Scott Hall going to the WWF where they were partying and seeing the light. It's like, yeah, at the time, WCW were, were, were putting out a far better product than they were. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the this, this segment kind of never really went anywhere. Like, Bischoff's now, you know, it's... I think they had to explain at one point why Bischoff wasn't using more of his power. Because, you know, Bischoff, if he had as much power as he said he had, would have expanded the NWO... Beyond, much further beyond the point than he did so they kind of had to reduce that so that kind of makes sense but now it's like now we've got Bishop as a guy that gets paid a lot of money and just hangs around with the NWO it, it feels a bit of a loose end that a little bit yeah it, it 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 kind of works for the Bischoff
4: character but again it just feels like these NWO guys are just like well, yeah, their, their, their shtick is, is that we'll do whatever we want to do. Well, that's all right up to a certain point, Eric. Something, not just let JJ talk and then just say, bite me four or five times. It's like, you're not, you're not giving me anything to, to let, to, you know, to lay my hat on. Um, I was expecting sort of maybe, you know, Bischoff was going to sort of, you know, sort of start, you know, really laying down the law a lot more than what he actually did in that segment I was expecting him to sort of say this is the way it's going to be I mean he kept making reference to the facts that you can't touch me, ironclad contract well let's have a bit of follow through on that, and it may come in weeks to come about you know where it's going to go next but in terms of this segment it just like you said it just didn't really go anywhere You know I don't say too much
0: but I heard banana nose, Flair out here last week with Piper, and he said a few things that kind of made me think. Wow. He was talking about this new generation of guys not having any respect. Well, Ric Flair, I know a little bit about the history of this sport, And I want to ask you something right now. What kind of respect is it ripping one of the legends of this sport off, the nature boy, Buddy Rogers? You rip his name off, you rip his look off, and you rip the figure four off from him. You're a biter, Ric Flair. And I got no respect for you, and very little for you either, Piper. And if you got any sack whatsoever, you'll do something about it because I don't sweat either one of you. Where is Scott Hall in all of this? He's still not here. All right. If you guys hold it down, we can get this done real quick. Last week... Ronnie Piper came out here and said that he had laid asphalt and cut down trees. He called the NWO a bunch of morons and stupid and what have you. Well, Piper, let me tell you something. Coming from a guy that if he had one less synapse fired in his brain, he'd be in a coma. I don't think too much about that. When I came into this business seven years ago, I looked down the road that you guys paid for us, I saw nothing but potholes. You guys came into the business, you strip-minded, you took what you could get out of it, and you left the young guys behind you, nothing. WCW was nothing but a bunch of guys pushing their sons. If you didn't have a dad in the business, you couldn't even get an opportunity. Scott Hall was here, I was here Scott Hall was ready to become a superstar Hey, I was a little green But Scott Hall was ready to become a superstar And you know what you did? He worked here a year, he proved himself You cut his salary So he went elsewhere We went to New York, that's right we went to New York, and what did we find when we got there? That's right. Stayed all night, danced a little longer, party time. When we got there, there wasn't no party, just punishment for the guys trying to dig the business out of the funk you guys left it in.
5: Wow. Oh, it's right. Do I
0: come from which ain't too far from here, south side of Detroit. You don't give respect, you don't get respect, you better beat respect out of me, boys. It's our turn to shine. It's the new generation's turn to shine. There's some young, young lions up here. And it's time for us to get more than a nibble on the carcass, boys. So while you guys decide to do the limo flying, the limo driving, the, the, the jets, the champagne, the ugly broads, Me and my crew have decided we got no problem flying commercial. We got no problem piling three in a rented tourist. Because what we're going to do, baby, is kick back, drink a little Mc40 ounce, and try the best we can to patch the potholes that you guys have left behind.
3: NWO 4 Live! And then this. So, out comes the the rest of the NWO. Nash, Six, uh, Vincent, Norton, and Fake Sting, I think was the extent of it. Might be one more. And Six grabs the mic. As he kind of said, we have up. I don't say very much normally. He's like, yeah, you're right, you don't. Um... And, and, and Six cuts a promo on, on on Flair and Piper and runs down Flair for, for nicking, you know, being a phony and nicking Buddy watches his name and his move and all that kind of thing. And then calls out him and Piper and says, if you guys have got any sacks however, you'll come down and sort me out because I don't sweat either of you two. And then he gives the mic to Nash. And, and and Nash says, you know, back a few years ago when me and Scotty were in here, you know, you if you worked, didn't have a dad higher up in WCW, you didn't get a push, which was true to a point. The mm. two, two of the guys two of the younger guys being pushed around the time this project started were Dustin Rhodes and Eric Watts, amongst others. So that was true to that. And he basically said, I was still green, but you know Scott Hall was ready to be a star. I don't necessarily know that he was, but equally, his, his WWF run didn't necessarily disprove that. So we went to New York, and, and, and we were part of the new generation over there. And then he said, basically, in Pride, they made it in the WWF, and now they came back. And now it's time for the new generation, the Young Lions, I think he called them, which I think yeah. is a... I think young lions mean something in Japanese wrestling. I may be wrong. But it talks about young lions, including himself, 38-year-old Kevin Nash, <laughs> in amongst all of that, and, and, and basically calling out P- Piper and Flair and all of that. And it's like, fuck, I mean, I kind of feel like I have to be sat here like drawing out diagrams and notes oh. to pull this out. But uh, just about worked. Just it was about. a lot.
4: It Just about work because it was it was more it was very, more coherent than the um, than the Piper Flair one and and that's about it. Otherwise, again, you need a degree in backstage psychology to work out what's going on and what they're really really trying to say. Well, I know what the you know I know what the sort of angle of the promo is, but again, just doesn't go anywhere and only means something to people in the back in the back.
3: Yeah. Um... You know, uh, as we say, a lot of these promos were, were for a very specific audience, but I, yes. I don't, I don't necessarily know how well this got over the rest of the guys. But it was nice to hear from Six, and Nash wasn't necessarily wrong. And I, you know, we spoke about this with the Ben and Sullivan thing before. Like it hasn't always made sense, but we get to the end, and you're like, yeah, well, people, you know, it might be osmosis, but people are kind of believing it now.
5: Yeah.
3: And I kind of feel like that's the same here. Um, right. We'll have a quick we'll have a quick pre-tape of the final show of the month and then we're going to fill in a lot of the details of the story that we've been talking about through the show. Just an hour for the last Nitro of the month as we hit NBA playoff season, we start randomly with a video of Flair beating Vader for the title from Starcade in 1993 of a show that you want to listen to the podcast on that one back to the present day we open with Piper and Flair taking over the desk Piper does the old grizzled vet shtick as the NWO Flair goes almost full Flair but they get cut off for the intro video Prince OK gets his title challenge for the Malenko's US title but falls to the cloverleaf, no messing there it's Hoovey against Six for the TV again with the champ retaining Lee Marshall phones in his fucking weekly weasel joke to the happiness of no one the Outsiders and Six take to the desk as Bobby and Larry run. Hall takes the mic and wonders about Flair and Piper with some quote some of the quote wolf pack. Nash suggests he wants a big purse for the slamboree match as they're the best in the business. Next, it's Benoit and Regal in an expected slugfest but out come the dungeon for the no contest. Sullivan and Benoit got it in the back. Men choking Benoit out. Macho gets a pay-for vignette, Giant and Luger then beat the amazing French-Canadians with Giant chokeslamming Jacques, and McMichael beats the Barbarian after the Halliburton shot to let Tony build his slam match. After an hour of promising Flair and Piper in action, we get a 10 to the hour and they start with a promo. Flair sells 6, he's had more world titles than 6 has had pieces of ass. The NWO music hits and stops, the area gets the arena gets papered with the NWO flyers saying tradition bites. The Outsiders and Six come out. Flair meets them but gets beat on for a full minute before Piper joins in as we go off the air. A delivery on a promise from the ratings kings. That Piper thing, they're kind of fucked up. Piper was meant to intervene right at the last moment but they screwed the timings up so Piper ended up looking like a bit of a dope.
9: Political infighting between two increasingly divided factions at the top of WCW has spilled onto television in a series of bizarre shoot angles. The split seems to be between the higher-up members of the NWO, namely Kevin Nash, Scott Hall and seemingly Six, going against Kevin Sullivan and the likes of Ric Flair and Roddy Piper, who are scheduled to face off in a six-man main event at Slamboree next month alongside Carolina Panther Kevin Green. The backstage heat has been building for a while from a number of different places. Early on in the NWO storyline, there was a feeling from the likes of Flair that the group were not doing enough selling, while at times since both Nash and Hall have felt that the group have been forced into doing too much. There's also Roddy Piper to factor into all this. As we outlined last month, Piper having creative control over his own storylines is causing more problems than it's solving. As an aside, many have noticed the feud between Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit is going on with seemingly no end in sight, and we now have a very likely explanation as to why. As multiple people in WCW told Sullivan that he needs to retire from in-ring competition at the conclusion of the storyline, Sullivan simply won't end it. As for how it's playing itself out on television, at the end of the March 31st Nitro, Kevin Nash cut a promo that in theory was supposed to see Nash play up divisions between himself and Scott Hall, providing both a storyline and an out for when Hall didn't show up at the pay-per-view six days later. Nash's promo was the only hint at that fact before the pay-per-view started, and even that was information that Nash revealed under his own volition. Nash otherwise spent the promo taking shots at little Napoleon, being Sullivan, and generally being pissed off. It's said that before the pay-per-view, Eric Bischoff had set up a meeting between Nash and Sullivan to try and iron out their differences after Sullivan told Bischoff that Nash had threatened him, which Nash basically denied. As for how it played out the rest of the month, the focus has largely been on the build towards Slamboree. Original plans called for it to be Hogan, Nash and Hall, but given that Hogan likely won't be on the show, they wanted to replace him with Six, which wasn't received well by people on Flair and Piper's side who said they didn't feel Six was a main event calibre act, particularly one that would draw mainstream attention opposite Green's involvement. Nash's side basically said that Six was the only guy capable of carrying the match, an opinion which was basically saying that both Flair and Piper were too old. Flair and Piper felt they should be shown more respect for what they had accomplished. And this is basically how the story played out on television. A promo from Piper, Flair and Green saw Green criticise younger NFL players for not working as hard or having respect for the veterans. Flair documented how he knew he was a star in the sport when Dick the Bruiser put him over 25 years ago and Piper making just about as much sense as he normally does, which is to say none at all. The segment was only supposed to go a few minutes but ended up going nine, much to the frustration of those backstage who not only had little clue what they were saying but also had no idea on how to get the segment to end. The retort to that came from a rare on-air promo from Six who said Flair is one to talk about respect given that he ripped off the name, the look and the finisher of Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Six said, if you've got any sack whatsoever, you'll do something about it because I don't sweat either one of you. This was really only the start for the promo that followed from Nash, who basically shot on how when he and Scott Hall arrived in WCW in the early 90s, that the only way you could get a push was to have a dad higher up in the company. He said it's time for the new generation to shine. While the shoots continued for the rest of the month, including a line on April 28th where Flair said of Six that he'd held more world titles than Six had had pieces of ass, it seems now that the two groups are at least working together with each other for the sake of making money, even though both sides are still shooting. Although, apparently the one concession made by the NWO is that they can't call Flair or Piper old.
3: (laughs) It's all politics, Kieran, isn't it? Bloody hell! So yeah, yeah as, as we kind of revealed in that, showed in that pre-tape, hell of a lot going on. Um, you know, a lot of stuff backstage, rivalries between between Nash and Sullivan that I don't want to say has been diffused, but seems to have now been kind of, you know, put out for now. Whether, whether it will reignite, we don't know. Um. And and yeah, basically at the moment it seems like everyone's happy pushing in the same direction. They're all kind of work with each other, but I don't know that this isn't going to blow up again in a few months. Uh, if you've got th- you've got Piper with creative control. Flair who still thinks Flair who still thinks he belongs. Nash is a great. fascinating stories this month. We didn't mention it at the pre-tape. partly because it wasn't strictly news, but fascinating stories this month of potentially Hulk Hogan the belief that Hogan was trying to influence Sullivan into sabotaging the angles to, to stop things getting over on the basis that Hulk Hogan wasn't around, so WCW business isn't quite as good while he's not there. When he comes back and it picks up... <laughs> God. We've got Kevin Nash trying to, you know, trying to say, well, we can probably do without Hulk Hogan. Why don't we kick him out the door and then split the money between ourselves, him and Eric Bischoff? Kieran, there's so fucking much going on right now. It, it's, <laughs> they, they, they might have put the fire out now, but that thing's going to reignite at some point. It, it's it's
4: just a powder keg waiting to happen, Bob. I, 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 I will put I will put no stock in any anyone from any of the factions saying right. We'll just we'll put we'll put everything to one. I just just say it in my head with knowing that what these personalities are like. Even like Nash from when he was in WWF. Knowing the, what these personalities are, like, knowing the, e- the, the ego for one thing that are going on, for them to all of a sudden be like, well, we're we'll still pulling the right direction, we'll put them to soul pulling the right direction, I'm not having it at all, this, this will absolutely blow up again. I, I mean, because, and I literally, I, I mean, and i mean this with all the best will in the world to anybody that's, that is pulling for the product and thinking about the fans, because don't tell me, these guys don't, do not, Um, Yeah, I'm just going to say, I don't think 90% of the guys involved in this angle care one iota about what goes on in the ring and what the crowd thinks. I just don't think they care. And I think that's the the, the damning indictment of it all. The the, the amount of self-interest that's going on is just ludicrous.
3: Yeah, you've got a lot of guys trying to look after own spots. And the best story of the month is is, is Kevin Sullivan, (laughs) who... Fucking hell. So, apparently... (laughs) Apparently last year they talked Sullivan into saying, right, when the Benoit feud is over, Sullivan, you're going to hang your boots up. So Sullivan is in charge of writing. He's like, right, well, (laughs) if I don't have to hang up my boots until the Benoit feud finishes, we might as well just have it never end, which is part of the reason why it hasn't ended. So that's really good. But you've got Sullivan trying to look after his spot. And Sullivan's equity right now, other than being Booker, is not that strong. No, there's, there's, there's a big long editorial that I urge everyone read in the in the talks this month about um, by the Way Keller a lot of the context surrounding this some of the stuff that I didn't put in the the pretext it's more speculation but Sullivan apparently still talking with ECW still trying to keep that door open because he knows and. Sullivan knows that he doesn't have much strength beyond his position. I don't get the sense he has that many allies. Yeah, no,
4: I would. I, I, he knows he's on a bit of borrowed time, doesn't he? I think. Um, uh,
3: not no, not necessarily. I mean, there there won't be there won't be a particular push to change Booker while ratings are strong and while business is strong. So he'll be okay from that point of view. Is,
4: do you think? Sorry, but do you think that's do you think that's even the case considering the people that are knocking around trying to get him out? Do you, it wasn't. Do, you, do you not see, well? Do you not see that people that like on the the other flip side, like Nash and that, you don't see them trying to force Sullivan out. Do you think no. they really care who the Booker is, or? Um, while
3: well, while ratings are strong, there's not going to be a massive amount of push and, and justification for, um, for for trying to change things. And so while that's the case, I think Sullivan's okay. But if if that starts to change. He might be the first person out of the door, so he's trying to play politics. He's trying to keep both sides happy. He's got a fraction of 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 uh, of Flair and Piper on one side, and he's got the NWO guys on the other. Nash has got Eric Bischoffs here. You've got Hogan a factor in all this as well. Piper's got creative control, and I think Wade kind of said it right. It kind of comes down from the point that leadership isn't all that strong in WCW. No. Um, despite
4: despite, he's right, despite all the personalities and he was around there isn't there isn't sort of like um there's, there's sort of like a lack of direction in there which would come from having leaders you know actually like you know somebody to actually say look guys come on let's just do they ever actually just like sit down and thrash it out i don't think there's any one person that could bring them all together to do that
3: well, I think Bischoff might be the guy. I mean, it'd be fascinating if Bischoff ends up trying to be the peacekeeper amongst all this. I suspect he has to. Bischoff's the guy in charge at the end of the day. Let's not
4: forget.
3: Yeah, they, that. yeah true, true. Um, so Bischoff, you know, the, there were talks that he sat Sullivan and Nash down before the pay for you and tried to iron the things out. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of moving parts right now. When you've got multiple guys with creative, God knows how they got through two Piper and Hogan matches with both guys having creative control of their own strap. Um. Knows no idea how they got through all of that um but yeah it's 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 all very tricky it's all very interesting to watch and it's it's fascinating one to read about how it's coming across off screen about all this potential stuff and hogan trying to sabotage you know his own product fast uh,
4: just the guy is just
3: hogan trying to it, it influence sullivan into deliberately sabotaging a show so that the pay-for-you might not draw as well so that when Hogan comes back and the pay-for-you numbers return, Hogan can say, look at me, I'm the one who drew these numbers. Really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, Going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Kira Mitchell, thank you very much. No problem, Rob. It's a uh, pleasure to be back and uh, hopefully I'll do some more in the future. Yeah, good to have you around. Uh, remind people where they can find you on Twitter, etc.
4: Et I'm on Twitter at Jotan Thrash 666
3: Excellent. And yes, uh, two other volumes for this month. Volume number one, we go to ECW, look at their first paper, you're barely legal. Volume number two, we go to WWF, looking at In Your House, Revenge of the Taker. Remind that we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you or to get early access to shows like these, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. And the links are in the podcast description and on our website. Uh, our website, wrestling20rs.com, part of a piece this month, looking at the Inexplicable Arise of Sid in 1996, for you all I about there, that. Uh, and a few other things as well. Uh, and that's it. So I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Void number three of the April of 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Until next time, goodbye.